This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It is episode number 207. Uh, this week, I am very pleased to be joined by a first-time guest. Hello to Mr. Neil David. Hello, thank you for having me, John. Really pleased to be here at last. I feel like I've been I've been waiting to do this for years and sort of times never sort of married up on or I didn't know what I was going to be talking about. But um, yeah, I'm glad to be doing it. Yeah, so I mean, for the behind-the-scenes look, I guess... Um, you know, most of the time when I need a guest, it's kind of like I know the shows that we're going to be talking about. And then I usually go to the Slack first to see if anyone in the Slack wants to do, volunteer. Um, you know, and some people volunteer pretty often. Some people never volunteer. So I'm never sure. It's like, is Neil not volunteering because he doesn't know some of these promotions? Or is he not volunteering because he doesn't like me personally? You never really, <laughs> you never really know. You it's know, it's like much they're... less exciting than that. It's usually that I've got a lot of work on, you know, our <laughs> real life has got in the way, you know. There's a, there's a couple people in the voice wrestling Slack who I would like shit a brick if they volunteer because I'd be like, I know that you hate me. I don't know what you're doing volunteering <laughs> to appear on my podcast. You don't like me. I don't like you. I don't know why you're volunteering. But yes, it is. Uh, it is kind of funny. But yeah, uh, Neil David apparently does not dislike me. Or not enough to not appear on Omakase. So welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, but yeah, so the, uh, the thing I like to do, I guess, usually when I get a first-time guest, is ask them about their history with wrestling, and then specifically what the, the, the wrestling topics we're talking about, which today are New Japan and DDT, obviously. And if you want to give your background as you know, a voice of wrestling writer, that'd be cool too. So anything you want to add there. Yeah, I mean, wrestling's been a, a long-term thing for me, really, but a little bit on and off. I mean, coming from the UK, yeah, when I was a kid, um, you know, in the mid-90s, you had to have Sky TV, and we didn't have any money, so I didn't have it. Um, but there was a guy who lived on our street who would who didn't have any kids, so we could afford it, and he'd record things for me, and, you know, five, six years old. Uh, and then the tapes just stopped one day, and I found out that my mum thought it was horrible and violent, and she didn't want me watching it anymore. Um, so my, like mom, t- my mom had the exact same reaction to when I was a kid. Like when I was watching, when I first started watching, uh, like WCW and stuff, and even I guess a little bit of Raw, uh, you know, in the mid '90s, she was not happy. She was like, "This is crap. Why are you watching this?" 
So I, I mean, it's a, very, it's a very mom thing. Yeah, and I f- but I feel like they made it really clear, you know, you can't learn to fall off a 20-foot ladder. You know, I, they made it crystal clear that you can't go in and copy all this stuff. But then I had sort of a dark period and then just borrowing tapes from the library and 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 then just sort of as I got older and the internet came about, I was able to watch all these things that I'd, I'd read in magazines. You know, I'd see pictures of people like Jushin Thunder Liger and be like, who the fuck is that? You know, I really want to know who that is. And then now I can, you know, I can find out who these people are and, yeah, I mean, I started writing for Voices of Wrestling by um, reviewing RevPro. I noticed that Rich didn't have anyone reviewing RevPro, so I, I kind of sent a, a, a cheeky email and, and, and got in doing that. Um, I don't really do that much anymore. I just kind of review whatever's going, and and, and Rich is is kind enough to publish my, my ramblings, really. <laughs> and now you've been kind enough to let me on your podcast, so I think it's going yeah. pretty well. So how did you get into, I guess, New Japan DDT, the two carpets there? I think it was... I mean, in it, I mean, it's uh, years ago now. It was, I think, like a lot of people, like a lot of Western fans. It was a boredom with what I was seeing and realizing that the people that I enjoyed in American wrestling, you know, the Daniel Bryans and the CM Punks and people like that, as, as sort of cliched as that might be, going on their Wikipedia page and finding out where they used to wrestle. And then watching a Ring of Honor and thinking that's exactly what I want, and then watching a Wrestle Kingdom and then realizing no, this is exactly what I want, and you know, but then just sort of going back and kind of filling in the gaps of things that I missed. What was um, your, what was like your first Wrestle Kingdom? If you remember, I always like to get that from people. It was it was the one. I mean, I might be exposing myself here. This might seem like quite a late one. I think it was nine. It was the one where Tanahashi beat Okada, and that's with right. the that's not that bad. I've heard people come on and been like twelve. So. Right. I mean, the the embarrassing thing is that I've got Jeff Jarrett to thank because that was the one that he was he got the was it the international rights for? Yes. He, he, he did. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> of all the people to thank for my current obsession, it's, it's, yeah, it's nine, Jeff Jarrett. Nine comes up a lot, and because of being on American pay per view, that Nakamura Ibushi match was a really really big deal that broke through. So I, I, you know that's a, a topic I always like to talk to people about because it's like where people broke into New Japan. And usually Puro in general during this whole run is really interesting to me, um, you know, because a lot of people say, um, you know, a lot of people say that Wrestle Kingdom 9, obviously a lot of people say the Wrestle Kingdom, I guess it would have been 11, where Kenny and Okada had that famous match. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people say 12 because of Jericho. So, you know, it is very interesting to me. I mean, like when you get like a really out there answer when someone's like, yeah, I really loved uh Dominion 2013 or something. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Those are really, those are like funny ones. But yeah, Resident Evil 9 might be the most popular answer I've gotten, honestly. So you're definitely not alone there. I mean, it's accessibility, isn't it? I mean, this was before, yeah. you know, Google Drives, before, you know, streaming things. It was just, there was always an awareness of it, but there was just the accessibility, you know, grabbing random matches off daily motion and things isn't isn't quite the same as having it presented to you properly on your TV. And, you know, that's that's where the fandom comes is when you can actually access it, you know? Yeah. Well, I broke in when I was definitely still like having a download, or not, not even download, like buy DVDs and rent tapes and stuff. So uh i definitely you know i i definitely didn't never foresaw having like live shows like we did we have nowadays oh it's crazy i mean i I work with teenagers and i feel like such an old man when i say it but for them to have access to everything and when i say everything that's not like hyperbole like like these kids have access to everything um you know i used to read about ecw in magazines when i was you know 14 
and having absolutely no way of ever seeing it. I mean, this was a well, kid. You don't anymore now either. Thanks to Peak. <laughs> well, we're still oh, the just that's about. Right, yeah. That's right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah we've yeah. got it. I don't know for how much longer. Uh, we've se- we seem to have quite a few people on the Voices of Wrestling chat, uh, and now like honorary members of the UK as well. Like a lot of people are now expats over here. Yeah. It seems like through VPNs and things. That's fine. But yeah, I think we've I've discovered guess- Australia is better for that because of the exchange rate. I think oh, of course, yeah. So now they're, they're like fake Aussies instead of fake Brits. Yeah, I mean, now we're all on the sort of the mad dash to watch every American wrestling show that's ever been made, you know, before yeah. it gets taken away from us. You know, it's just crazy to think that this company has the history of American wrestling and it's, it's you know, where's it going to go? It's, it's, it's worrying, you know? Yeah. So there you go. That's uh, Neil David's history here. That was fascinating. Um, I always like to hear from new guests, like what where they got into stuff and all that, because, you know, it is a the answers are always different. Um, this is, might be like, that might be the, the happiest part of this episode, to be honest. I don't know what your opinions were of Sakura Genesis. I guess I'm going to find out in a second. Uh, this was like me hitting the wall today, this show. Like, I really, um, I don't know. I'm going to get into it more and more as we go, obviously. But like, this might be a bit of a downer episode because, I mean, I was just talking about this in the Slack, but like, if I didn't do this podcast if I didn't have the Patreon now, which I'm going to have to plug in a second, like, you know, I'm being real with everybody. I, this would be where I'm like taking a break from wrestling because I have, you know, at least current wrestling because man, am I not into anything going on right now? I mean, new Japan, you know, 2020, um, I know 2020 was a big drop for a lot of people. It's 2021 has been the, the drop for me. And I feel like where I'm hitting this wall now is with these clap crowds, which are like, I, I really like, when, when people were really bothered by them in 2020, right? I kind of forced myself to like them because, you know, first of all, I just felt like it was great to have New Japan back and great to have Japanese wrestling back after, you know, all that time off and no crowds at all. And second of all, my favorite wrestler, maybe of all time, was the current champion. So I had a very, like, <laughs> you know, uh, a very obvious reason to, like, make the best of it. But now like a guy who I don't like at all is, is the champion obviously. And, you know, I, I'm happy for Will Ospreay's fans, I guess, but it's like, I just, I, you know, I'm not trying to like fucking pick on the guy. I just, I, he's never been a guy that I've liked that much, you know, even, even putting aside all the other shit with him, which, you know, I think has been done to death, even on this show lately, like just Will Ospreay in a vacuum as a pro wrestler, never one of my favorites to say the least, never a guy I've been that into, it weirdly his ring work now kind of annoys me less as a heel than it does a baby face, but these fucking promos of his, yeah. like I yeah. cannot take his heel promos. I mean, they're so, they, they honestly sound like something a teenage edgelord would recite <laughs> to, yes. a, to his fucking mirror while he's thinking, I'm going to be champion someday. This is going to be my big promo. It's like, that's what he sounds like. He sounds like he's a 16-year-old talking to his fucking mirror. And I can't take it. It's really so fucking bad. It's one of these things where, like, when I read other people, like, when people praise Will Ospreay's wrestling, I get it, okay? I understand why Joe Lanza, just to throw a, ran- a completely random name out, uh, loves Will Ospreay's wrestling. Even if I don't love Will Ospreay's wrestling, I totally get why other people like it. When people praise Will Ospreay's promos, I feel like 
I'm watching something else. I feel like we're on, you're on Mars or you're on the alternate universe Earth watching alternate universe Osprey give these promos because I have no idea how people can think his promos are good. The one at Sakura Genesis really wasn't that bad, but the w- ones on the Road 2 shows leading up to it were like some of the worst shit. Like, really made Kenny Omega's like fucking promos back in the day for New Japan look like Shakespeare. I just, I, I really couldn't take. So the promos are really, like, were really, really, really great on me. And considering the world champion is the guy who's going to be giving the longest promos, the biggest promos at the end of these shows, you know, the focus of the company, it, that to me really, uh, you know, just really is a, a, a big downer. But yeah, but even beyond that, like the cloud crowds, it just I'm hitting a wall with them, and it's become, you know, at last, like mid, midway through last year, maybe you could have hope about when the cloud crowds would end. But Japan's vaccine rollout is so bad. If people haven't been paying attention to that, I mean, they think I saw a headline today that uh, Jojo Remy actually posted in in our Slack that they're going to be they're expecting to be done with old people, not the entire population, just people over 65 cities expect to be done sometime between August and next March. Okay, that's how bad this vaccine rollout. This vaccine rollout has been a disaster. It's been super fucking slow. Um, They just. It's been one of the worst in the world for like a, you know, rich, highly developed nation. So like, I, I don't know. It's just like you. I don't see any realistic way that we're getting rid of these clap crowds by the end of the year. It may not even be all that soon into 2022. It could slip to like, who the fuck knows? Depending on how this virus goes and you know how the rest of this vaccination program goes. I mean, we could be talking 2023 for all we know. I mean, and- that's the problem, isn't it? It's nuts that how long. There's a phrase the government in the UK throw around and it's the new normal and the novelty of the clap crowds has gone and kind of the forgiveness of it's gone as well. Like you used to be able to just go, well, okay, it's a clap crowd and it'll be over soon, but it's just gone on now so long and it's so drawn out that I don't even, now I have the opposite reaction that when there's, I'm watching older wrestling and there's a crowd that feels fresh and new and exciting. It doesn't stand out to me anymore that there's no crowd there. And a lot of that intangible has just gone. And like you say, having no end in sight just makes it 10 times worse. Yeah. I mean, it, it really, like, I do a lot of retro stuff for the Omakase Patreon, and that does not feel like a chore. It's like, oh, great. You can watch this really cool old match, hear people make noise in the building. But, like, these current shows just feel like more and more of a chore. And, you know, it's even promotions. Like, I, I don't dislike what DDT is doing right now, for instance, or Noah or all Japan. I'm probably into all of them more than new Japan at the moment, but like, like I waited a week to watch this DDT show. Like I just never had the urge to watch it until like I had to watch it for this podcast. And that's not on the wrestlers. That's on a hundred percent on the crowd. And I just, th- these crowds, like I'm hitting a fucking wall with these crowds and you know, it doesn't mean this podcast is going anywhere. We're still going to do it. You know, I'm, uh, I'm pushing through it basically. But I am just like, I'm so burnt out on these cloud crowds. I really just like, you know, maybe we do more historical stuff again after a certain time or something. I don't know. I mean, we're the Patreon's about to go to the Champion Carnival, which I'm excited to, to, to be covering the Champion Carnival. I guess I'll uh, get into the Patreon plug in a second. I don't want to go straight from <laughs> everything sucks to, by the way, give me $5 to talk about, <laughs> to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, the Champion Carnival, I'm like reasonably excited for. All Japan might be my favorite company at this point. I mean... That's something I thought I would never say at the start of the year, but, you know, they're handling the total eclipse term is really good. And, you know, Jake Lee looks like he might finally get to push through here. 
Now, of course, watch fucking like Shuji Ishikawa book himself to win the Champion Carnival <laughs> or something. But like, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm so, pretty excited for the Champion Carnival. I'm fair, I would say like about as excited as I can be about any Cloud Crowd Wrestling in 2021. But yeah, I mean that that New Japan tour just looks endless already. That Dontaku tour and then straight yeah. Grand Slam and straight into Dominion. And I will be picking and choosing from these Road Two shows. I think I, the days of me watching every Road Two show uh have come to a close because i oh, can't same. yeah i'm absolutely the same i think with things like the cup and the champion carnival you can you know that's going to be a slog and you can kind of prepare yourself for it but also there's inbuilt consequences to everything everything feels meaningful but just you know road to whatever the fuck night seven i just you know i, I i'm like i'm the same as you i'm just not going to do it to myself like the crowds used to get me through those shows like because corrigan crowds especially were fucking fantastic yeah and, the fan club crowd yeah yeah and it's just you can't the obviously it's not a thing anymore so like you know they, i mean i agree the new japan cup was fun i mean i you know i reviewed all that between here and the page around the new japan cup was great uh you know really up until like the semifinals when it started uh going a little downhill for me but like the first few rounds especially were really great um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's what it comes down to is like when there's consequences, when there's something for you to focus in on, uh, you know, in, in these tournaments that, you know, the tournaments are definitely the best part of, you know, they're all, they're almost always one of the best parts of Puro anyway, but like the, the gap is huge during, during the current times when you can really focus in on a tournament and, you know, have that to hold your attention. Uh, right now during non-tournament times, I mean, these tours are just fucking slogs and, yeah. It doesn't help that it's not even just New Japan doing this. Every company is running more shows than ever to make up for the fact that they can't, uh, you know, obviously can't have as many fans at individual show. So these cards, like no one runs super cards anymore. It feels like like everybody runs these cards that are like one or two main event matches and then fucking six undercard matches. Noah for sure does a ton of that. All Japan kind of always did that even before COVID. Uh, DDT, I guess does it the least and they probably they do run super cards still to some degree but yeah i don't know i'm just i'm i'm like this sakura genesis show we're about to get into like again it's you're basically got two matches that matter a an x that like probably underwhelmed and a whole lot of undercard tags are just a slog to get through and you know it's a double slog when you're dealing with uh the clap crowds obviously I have to say, though, I, I mean, I, you've kind of shown your hand there about the Genesis show. It's going to be interesting because I quite liked it. <laughs> like, uh, I, I thought I, it was I, a, I quite enjoyed it. Average show, I would say. I didn't, I didn't hate it or anything, but like, it definitely did not uh, rock my world. I guess, um, you know. And I, and I, I didn't really have high expectations for it anyway, though, because it's a two, it was a two match show anyway. But neither of those matches really blew me away. So that's probably that's what that's what's going to happen when you have a two match show, I guess. Yeah, you kind of bet in the house on on one particular thing or two particular things, and if even one of them it doesn't meet expectations, you 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 kind of souring your whole image of the show, really. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not like twenty twenty one New Japan hasn't been like a disaster or anything. It's just been a very up and down year. Where like there's a lot of shows. There's been shows I really loved, like you know, both nights of Wrestle Kingdom were great. Uh, Castle Tech Night Two was great. New Beginning in, I believe, Nagoya, the Shingo Tanahashi one, that was great. But then there's been like some shows that I think are far worse than anything from 2020, which new, both New Beginning and Hiroshima's were horrible. Castle Tag Night 1 was horrible. Um, oh, yeah, was that the one? I, I think I reviewed that one for the website, and it was yeah. it was the Bullet Club one, where yeah. it was just... And it, it, yeah, that 
uh, that was the point where I, I really adjusted how I view New Japan. And I think I had to, rather than when there's a big show, sit down and think this is going to be good, more just kind of get what I can from it. You know, like I just, yeah. if the bits that I like, I like, and the bits that I don't like, I just kind of have to hand wave and, and, like you, like you said before, not really go to other promotions. I mean, I'm I, I tend to sort of do all Japan in sort of big leaps. I'm into the Jake Lee stuff. I'm into the top of the card Noah stuff. Um, I'm into AEW, but I'm not. I'm finding myself going back and watching older stuff nowadays more than anything. Yeah, I mean, there's just the, the, like with New Japan. I mean, New Japan was like I I, I they were, I guess they were my favorite company in 2019 and 2020 and they definitely aren't in 2021 and there's really nothing filling that void for me because I know a lot for a lot of people, AEW is filling that void, but you know, American weekly TV wrestling is just never going to be connected with me on that level that Japanese wrestling connects with me on. And you Mm. know, some of the weekly TVs I watched were good. I I always, I I always come away from the show feeling like it was really overhyped, but that may also just be that the wrestling style does not land with me. Like I'm not a huge you know they what they what AEW excels at is like spot fast and like plunder. And I'm really not a plunder person, other than like I like some death matches, but I really it's not my favorite kind of match at all. Plunder matches really, I, a lot of times it's one of my least favorite types of matches. Mm-hmm. And you know that's what they excel at. And you know the stuff I like, you know, um, is like a, a far more technical style or far more, um, you know, like. I don't know, like suplexes and stuff like very close to what we get in new Japan or, you know, even like the, the te- like a, like more technical wrestling style or like, uh, you know, like Hideki Suzuki matches and stuff, which that stuff is never going to, I, I'm not, I don't expect that stuff to be an AEW obviously, but I'm just explaining like the, the wrestling style to me is like very much like PWG mixed with, you know, I don't know, old school WCW angles or something. I, it just, it's never yeah, going to be my favorite. Yeah. It's just never going to be my, my favorite style of wrestling. So I get that other people love it. It's just, um, you know, it just doesn't land with me at that level. And then the, that revolution pay-per-view was just like, you know, we reviewed that on here. That was not a good show. And no, it wasn't. No, it was, it, I mean, obviously I, I don't need to sort of go over kind of lukewarm takes, but it was, it was going to live and die on that ending, wasn't it? And it, it was just embarrassing. It was, it was, there was no other word for it. And I think the fact that the ratings have dropped off and I, I hesitate to talk about ratings because I'm not really a ratings guy, but the fact that they've dropped off fairly swiftly after that says a lot. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder if a lot of the AEW stuff, and this is as an AEW fan, I do like it. I think there was a real hunger for a, a change and a real hunger for proper American wrestling on a larger scale, and they filled that void. And I think a lot of people forgive a lot because of that, because they like the company and they like what they're doing. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I I put myself in that camp as well. But I think there's a there's a a passion for the AEW thing that sometimes maybe clouds my judgment of what's actually in front of me. Maybe. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think people obviously give them a pass on lots of stuff they would hold other companies feet to the fire on mm. uh you know especially like the the run-ins and the interference like i went over a lot in the in that it when we reviewed the aw pay-per-view yeah but i don't know i mean we don't have to turn this into aw talk but like it was just that's the company that i just bring it up because a lot of people have like filled that void with aw and it, it just doesn't do anything for me really like it's not something i'm i ever feel the need to watch week to week so 
I don't know. It feels like a different void to me. It's a different hole that it fills. You know, yeah. it's, it's 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 not the same as a New Japan. I mean, I, I like I, said, I still really like New Japan, but I think that excitement has gone, and and it's def it's definitely a new era. I mean, it's a new belt, new era, and there's. I mean, how do you follow the era that we had? You know, twenty twelve to what are people saying? 2018, 2019? Twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen. Well, I think people are saying twenty right when Naito won the double belt. Right. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, how do, you, how do you follow that? I mean, if somebody said to you that was the best wrestling has ever been, I don't know if I agree with them, but they're not crazy. You know, it's in the yeah. conversation. So it's the difficult second album, I think. And I agree with you that I don't think they do particularly well. And the juxtaposition of it as well with this show, I thought was a was a good show. But when you think of what this show would have been maybe three years ago, it's not in the same ballpark. Yeah. And like, you know, the... To me, my whole thing is it's not that I dislike New Japan, especially like I guess I would just say I like I like a lot of wrestlers on the New Japan roster. To me, they still have the best roster in all of wrestling, but I don't think they're being used particularly well. I don't. Think yeah, yeah, that's a big point that I've got on a few of these matches actually. That I think in in my head, I found it really useful to separate the wrestler and the booking. You know, yeah. this the, like you say, the best roster. I mean, outside of. You know the you know the New York um, <laughs> group nah, who so, have so, everybody. See, we, you know, we had this debate in Discord. I would still put New Japan ahead because, like, if you could, we we did this debate in the Voice Wrestling Discord. If I was going to tell you my top ten New Japan guys, there's like maybe one or two guys in, in New York that I would like put in that top ten, and the rest of them would be you know there's a lot of guys who would be in like the top in the mix of top twenty, but. When the top t- the top ten talents in New Japan to me are so good that I still think they have the strongest overall roster. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for quality over quantity. Yeah, when it comes to things like this and using what you've actually got in front of you as well. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's there's just so many guys in WWE who, um, you know, I like at this point I'm done predicting who would and wouldn't excel because I would have guessed that Rusev would be great outside of WWE and, and I would not have thought much of Dean Ambrose and you know John Moxley's been awesome including in New Japan and you know fucking Miro isn't doing much for anybody I don't think maybe that's a bad week to say that because I think people love that uh arcade whatever the fuck but I I didn't watch it so I don't know maybe he was great in that for all I know no I've not seen it yet either yeah uh but let's get into the Sakura Genesis show so this took place on this today Sunday April 4th uh at Ryogoku an attendance of 4,484. I don't believe that's capacity for the half-empty, even for the half-empty building. I could, I could be wrong on that. Let me see what the G1 was like, because that would give us a good idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, either way, it's, if it wasn't capacity, it was probably pretty close. Um, but so, you know, you can't really make any hot... I mean, making attendance hot takes, uh, you know, during this anyway, I've always thought it's pretty stupid. So... Uh, you know, it's just, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, I mean, but even outside of capacity, there's a thousand reasons why somebody wouldn't attend a, a show with thousands of other people, you know, at yeah. the minute. You know, it's, it's it's impossible to sort of talk about with any credibility, I think. Oh, I guess they, oh, I guess they increased it, yeah, because the G1 finals did 2,928. So I guess they must have increased the capacity since then. Anyway, I saw, I saw more tickets on sale than I expected last time I looked, but maybe it was a sellout for all I know. Um, the main event here was obviously for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. Will Ospreay defeats Kota Ibushi in 3013 with the Stormbreaker to become the second 
world heavyweight champion. Um, oh, one other thing I mentioned, I guess, before we get to the matches, Hiroma ran out at the start of the show uh, with these. Oh, this was great. This, this was really great. Good. His yeah. arm is already out of the sling, which is really cool. And he seemed to just basically be like the warm up guy, basically. He was going over the card uh, from what I could make out. And then he joined the Japanese commentary team for the rest of the night. And he was very energetic on commentary throughout the show. So that was a great addition. He said that fans would see him during this injury absence this time. Uh, so I guess he was being a man of his word here. I mean, it's a great idea. I, I think I hate wacky, generally speaking. Um, but he just, I mean, how can you watch that man bouncing around in his, his multicolor suit and just not be absolutely captivated by it? You know, him, if he does the Jim Smallman routine at the start of every show, I'm, I'm, I'm down for that, definitely. He's, he basically seems to be, I mean, he, he, to me, he's like the, the best at like wacky probably it's ever been because yeah. you, honestly, it, it never feels forced. Like you, it honestly comes off like this is just like his general persona. So, you know, that always helps a lot. But yeah, I mean, he is just way too likable to for people to be mad about that, I think. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, so he was here for the rest of the night. Anyway, Osprey beats Ibushi, like I said. Um, so the match, it started out really slow in that New Japan, we're going really long main event way. I mean, honestly, for the how slow the start of the match was, I, I kind of thought they were going to go even longer than 30 minutes. Um, but, you know, they, they did end up going only, only 30, quote-unquote. That's where we're at with these <laughs> New Japan main events. Uh, but, yeah, not much of anything really happened in the first five minutes. Uh, Coda did hit a nice Rana just after the five-minute call, which sent Osprey to the outside, and then he followed him out there with an equally nice slingshot plancha. So that was kind of cool. What wasn't cool was Ibushi's, uh selling of Osprey's pretty basic offense during his heel heat period just felt really, like, way too over the top for me. Like, basically, I'm talking about when Osprey was giving, like, these chops to the chest and these, like, elbows and stuff that, like, I don't know. Osprey was hitting him with, like, a single chop to the chest and Coda was, like, thrashing about on the mat and, like, groaning like he was just shot. And it just, it didn't feel like anything that was going on or or had led to that earned that kind of selling. It just felt really corny. And Coda, Coda Ibushi is not usually a guy that, like, gets super corny to me with his selling, but I don't know. He felt off in this match in general to me. So, you know, I don't know if it was the fact that he was losing and, you know, maybe being fucking made to look like an idiot here, losing this new title on his first defense or what, but he felt really off in this match to me, like for a guy that usually does not have many off nights. Yeah, I um, noticed that with the murder of Bushi sort of period as well. He didn't really commit to it and it sort of fizzled out. And I mean, maybe that was a way to kind of get him out of losing. I mean, the fact that he lost anyway is kind of the fact that he really he was the only one who was advocating for this belt being like these two belts being sort of combined and put together as one of them to lose it on his first defense just seems like a really weird choice to me. Um, yeah, you know they they did if they wanted to save the Will Osprey match, it didn't have to be now. You know they could have easily have, have done something else. I mean. It, it, it just seemed like a really bizarre choice. I mean, I like the image at the end of him kind of crawling out on his hands and knees. I don't know if I necessarily noticed what you said about the selling, but I think it makes sense what you've said about just something seemed a little bit off about Abushi, maybe something a little bit intangible. And I, yeah, I, it's interesting that you've said that because I, I couldn't sort of articulate it, but I think that's what it was. Yeah. And like, I, I told, I mean, I was going to say that to the end, but I totally agree with you that the, you know, to have this character basically want to do this thing 
that nobody else wants to do in kayfabe as well that's the crazy thing like these these the two biggest stars of the company are in kayfabe saying it's a bad idea it's just it's insane to me yeah okada and naito both hated the idea tanahashi hinted he hated the idea i mean the only people who liked the idea were heels uh like there were a few heels that thought it was a good idea well i'm like what are we doing here and like I assume a lot of the you know that a lot of that was like them going into their into business for themselves, where like they're like, well, I don't want to be tied to this thing. This thing everybody hates this thing, and I hate it. So I'm just gonna fucking bury it. I'm not in the storyline anyway. But you know, it just it really was bizarre. Like in, even in kayfabe, how how unpopular this idea was, and you know the, the I mean the Japanese fans hated it. You know you could I I really like searched far and wide for, you know, when they first announced this to try to find, you know, any Japanese fan who was positive about this and, you know, just reading through the Japanese Twitter and I could not find anybody. I mean, it was, it was like universally buried and hated. Yeah. I've seen nothing. I've seen a a couple of like, well, actually kind of ideas that I can just dismiss, but I, I just think it's a bad idea on almost every conceivable level and i'm not even talking about what the belt looks like i don't know if you kind of want to avoid that talking getting into that but thinking about what they used to have and they didn't really have a main title and a secondary title they had a main title and like a 1a and a 1b you know and like you say they've got all these big shows to do they're gonna um you know, a few years ago when they started doing, they'd have the tour and then there'd be one big show. And then they started doing two big shows and then three big shows. And they had this perfect system set up to do that and to solve that problem, to have two major main events that, you know, to use a cliche, would be a main event in any building. And now that's kind of gone. And I understand that belts are just props. Like I'm not, you know, it's like anything. It's like interferences or ladders. I, I understand all that. But if you're going to change something, I think you've got to have a bit of justification in there. You've got to tell me what you're replacing it with. And what they've replaced it with is, as you say, Ibushi wanted it. And the only reason I can think that he wanted it is because it felt awkward carrying two belts. We really could not do it. I thought, okay, he came in the ring on Tuesday at that last Road to show where they revealed the new belt. And you'd think, okay, buddy, it's your last fucking show having to carry these two belts around. Can you just get them both in the ring? And he almost dropped the Intercontinental title like three times <laughs> just trying to get in the ring. And I was like, okay, this man, I, the only thing that makes sense is like, this man really cannot carry two belts. We have to get, yeah. have to unify them. I mean, they are just belts as well at the end of the day. Aren't they? It's not, you know, I, I mean, it, it, I say that just, it happens in my opinion to be two of the best looking belts there's ever been. Yeah, well, heavyweight think- to me is the best belt. Yeah, I've ever seen a better wrestling belt than the heavyweight, which is was always <coughs> excuse me was always gonna almost choke and death on melon soda. It was uh, it was always gonna make following that one a you know a uh, a, a hard act to follow, right? I mean, and they soak up so much as well. I think it's not just the fact that they look. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think in isolation, you're right that, that you can't follow it. 
But also when I think of those belts, I don't think of it sat on an announcer's table. I think of it, you know, like I was saying about Wrestle Kingdom 9, I think of it on Tanahashi's shoulder as he's yelling after Okada that he's a young boy and he should never have challenged him at the Dome. Or, you know, the Intercontinental with Nakamura. Oh, actually, no, the, the, the image I have for the Intercontinental is Naito lifting it over his head and smashing it against the, the stairs. <laughs> you know, doing that run where he just, he was like, I'm not fucking 1B. You know, that run that he did. And I mean, Chris Charlton was desperate. Did you hear at the start? He was. It's really confusing me now what they're doing with that. Oh, so I didn't listen. To, I, didn't I listen don't to understand. English, I didn't listen to the English commentary. So please explain. Tell me what. Tell me about Chris Charlton. He really. I mean, he's a company man. I'm not. He's doing his job. I'm not criticizing him for this. But he was really trying to make out like this is sort of a continual lineage. Um, but from what I've understood, it's not a continual. Like it's a new thing. That's the point of it. Um, so I, I don't know really where we stand in terms of lineage. I mean, either way, I feel like it's sort of started again. Yeah. So let, let me let me because this has been really confusing. People don't seem to understand. So there is no argument that they're not treating Kota Ibushi as the first champion of a new lineage because if you look at the kanji above his name, it says first champion. I mean, it, oh, on, the, it, on the VT too, like they did the VT. Yeah, oh, in English, yeah, in English. So yeah, you're, you're right. So like, even like, the Japanese says it, the English says it. Like, there is no argument that this is not a new title lineage. What New Japan is trying to argue is that this belt is the two the heavyweight and intercontinental put together. So basically, Kota Ibushi and everyone else who wins this belt is also winning those two belts which isn't totally unprecedented in Japanese wrestling. When they first formed the Triple Crown in all Japan in the in the late 80s, I mean, like, they really tried to argue that, like, you know, the all three of the individual belts were still part of this title, and winning the Triple Crown made you, meant you won those titles. I mean, this was especially important, I think, for the PWF title, which was, like, all Japan's historical title going back many years already at that point. So... You know, that, so like that, that makes sense. The problem with that comparison, though, is the Triple Crown, until very recently, until a few years ago, was all three belts. I mean, the guys yeah. were out yeah. with the three belts. So, like, it was much more, it was much easier to argue that, even though it did, it, they did call it the same thing. They called it first champion, second champion. Like, I, I think it was Jumbo Saruta that uh, unified them, and, like, he was called the first Triple Crown champion. But like it was much easier to argue that no, these champions are also winning the PWF title and the other ones too, when you could see those three belts physically. I mean, here they're unifying the titles, you know, into one title and then telling you they're you know well, they're still holding the heavyweight and intercontinental. It's like it really just rings super hollow. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where like, you know, you could I mean, I made a joke tweet this past week that like this means that Hiroki Goto finally won. Yeah, I was just going to mention that actually. I, I didn't see the tweet, but I saw it in the Slack. I, I, I love that. That's the most Goto thing. That's the most <laughs> Goto under a waterfall painted his body way to get a championship. That's fantastic. I love yeah, it. and it's like you know, it's funny to think that Goto uh, got this fucking is now part of this world title lineage. But like, if you watch that video, there's some stupid champions who are in this lineage. I'm sorry. I mean, God bless MVP. But I should not be seeing him uh, in this lineage when he comes out. I should not be seeing, uh, you know, Hiroki Goto without ever winning the belt. Uh, Bad Luck Fale, Michael Elgin, um, you know, Masao Tanaka, who's a great wrestler, but, like, never was a main event level guy in New Japan. I mean, these, like, Tanaka and MVP really stand out because that was before 
they even started treating the intercontinental as like even a close to one B. Um, but even now, after that, there's guys, I mean, you know, the full list of guys who held the intercontinental, but not the heavyweight, you know, I, I mentioned a bunch of them already. You have some that make to- that are totally fine in the world title lineage, you know, Chris Jericho for whatever you think of him now. And, you know, his opinions, I don't think anyone really complain that Chris Jericho is in a world title lineage, but Nor Suzuki is totally fine to have in there. Um, you know, but like there's, and then Goto, I guess is, you know, it's, it's fun to think of the fact that he made it into this lineage as a joke, but like, yeah, I don't, it's just, it is weird that that's how he, you know, got in here. And I, I feel like I'm forgetting, oh, the Sombra, because he held the Intercontinental very briefly. Uh, obviously that's an Andrade for people, to, people who don't know. I think that's all of them. I don't think I missed any. Uh, your silence tells me you're not gonna. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna correct you on that one. Yeah, that was a history lesson for me in parts as well. Yeah, I'm not gonna correct uh, let me, you. Let me see. I have my I have the tweet in front of me. I just want to make sure I'm not forgetting somebody. Oh god, people are like. You know, while you're finding that, actually, a little aside, um, one of the bits that I thought was really corny about this new belt as well, did you see the way Red Shoes like really over-egged how heavy it was? As yeah. if he could, he could feel the weight of the belt and two lineages. The weight of two lineages was just too heavy for him. Really, as he had to really, do under, really underselling it, yeah. I mean, MV, uh, yeah, I, I, think I, I went over all of them. Um, there you go. So it, it was MVP, Masao Tanaka, Goto, Osamra, Fale, Elgin, Suzuki, Jericho. That's all the IC champions who never held the heavyweight. I mean, that is kind of crazy. It's crazy that it's that few when you think about it. And they really did, you know, use this belt as a 1B. But yeah, I mean, those there's some names there that really have no business in the heavyweight lineage. Like, I really shouldn't have to look at Michael Elgin's ugly-ass mug every, <laughs> before every fucking world title match now in these videos. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so the whole thing just... I don't know. The, the, the company has made their argument here. I just don't think most people buy it. It's, it's a new belt. I mean, first champion, second champion, that's a new belt. And yes, it ha- it makes Kota Ibushi look like a massive dork to want to do this <laughs> and, like, and like demand these belts be unified and then fucking lose the thing on his first defense. And look, I I would bet, like if you ask me right now what will happen, I bet he beats Osprey to win, win this belt back. But like... It, it still makes him look like an idiot. I mean, I'm sorry. It doesn't make him look that much better that he wins it back from him. He just, you know, he should not have been put in this position to advocate for this fucking, this unification that nobody wanted and then immediately lose the thing on his first defense. It just makes him look like a moron. So. What do know. you it's, think of the actual belt? Like what it actually looked like? Just uh, ignore everything was, in the aesthetics. Yeah, I think it was like a, it, it, I think it's a perfectly fine belt. I would say like 7.5 out of 10. I like it. It's just, it's replacing a nine out of ten yeah. and an eleven. I mean, yeah. that's the problem. I mean, it's replacing two amazing belts, one of which is the best of all time. So, yeah, I mean, it's in a vacuum. Do I really think it looks that much worse than a lot of titles? No, I think it looks fine. You know, pretty good actually. But like, uh, I just don't think it's it, you can't. It's trying to follow an act you can't follow. So, they just never should have done this. That's all it comes down to. Yeah. Um, okay, I guess getting back to the match here. Uh, Osprey at one point uses a cravat as a rest hold. That doesn't throw me either. And Ibushi was like pounding his fist in the mat to, to rally the crowd while he's like standing in this hold. Just looked pretty corny to me because it's like I, I don't know. I don't like you. Don't see a lot of that in Japanese wrestling. The like pounding the mat to rally the crowd thing from a wrestler. That to me is more of an American wrestling thing in my mind. And like it, it always comes down to like why not just punch the guy instead of punching the mat yeah, to make same them clap. Yeah, it's really, really, really weird. Um, 
but yes, uh, while I'm hanging on Abushi, I guess a guy I usually love, but uh, I thought was really having a weird and kind of bad performance. He takes Osprey's like normal handspring kick in one of the weirdest ways I've ever seen. This was like just after the 15 minute mark. Um, it probably didn't help him that Osprey barely made contact. So Coda was clearly expecting this kick to knock him backwards to some degree, and it really didn't. So, you know, he basically has to leap back entirely under his own power, which already looks stupid. And then he makes this, like, very goofy face as he's going down. Just looked absolutely ridiculous. Probably the worst uh, selling of that springboard kick I've ever seen. Um, On the positive side, there was a really cool strike exchange that ended with a huge short-arm lariat that Osprey took this awesome flip bump for. That was, like, by far the best sequence of the match up to that point. Yeah. Uh, Ibushi then hit the sit-out last ride for a near fall. He tried for the common goe. Osprey countered by just, like, ramming his shoulder into Ibushi's gut. That was a pretty neat-looking counter. Um, the fight over the top rope, that maybe went on a little bit too long for me. It just kind of felt like that went on forever. Uh, it, you know, Ibushi it did have a cool ending, where Ibushi tried to hit that springboard run with Osprey sitting on the top turnbuckle, and Osprey kind of blocked it, and then hit a shooting star press to Ibushi while he's hanging over the top rope. And then he had a real shooting star press from the top rope for a near fall. That was a cool little sequence, but like it took a little too long to get up to that for me. Um, right after that, though, they had a major botch. And this, like, I understand that some people don't um, rate botches as much as I do when it comes to rating matches. But this is like, when you have a botch to this level on top of a match that I didn't think was really that good up to this point anyway, I do not get where people are going like four and a half stars or higher on this match. So Ibushi... I guess Ibushi was supposed to catch Osprey coming off the ropes from one of his handsprings and just couldn't. Like, he even tried to lift him back up into the same position, but just, like, fell to the ground clutching his back. I thought he was, like, seriously hurt for a second. He did. He didn't seem to be because they got back up. But, yeah, it just looked awful. Yeah, um, I think they the couldn't... problem with it was, like, I don't know. I mean, I'm the same as you. Like, I'm not a... a... Um, like a like a botch is kind of dependent for me. I think like in in certain contexts it works, but it's all about how you cover for it. And the right. best way to cover for it is to just kind of roll with it. The second best way is to sort of do the move again. And they I see, of, I hate that. I hate when they do the move again. That, oh no, that, yeah, definitely. I don't think it's good. But yeah. here they kind of flip between the two. It's like they just weren't on the same page with covering for it. And there was just a moment of like the fourth wall was sort of there for a second you know like he, he yeah. just kind of exposed the match a little bit and it that again i'm not normally a botch guy it doesn't really bother me that much but this one did this probably took a quarter star off for me for what it's worth yeah i mean i usually don't i, I usually do kind of hold botches uh against the wrestlers more than the most people i guess but uh and this one was like particularly bad i think um we got the 25 minute call abushi sets osprey up on the top rope um you know, I guess trying trying to move on to that botch from something spectacular. He tries a reverse Rana. Osprey lands on his feet. He gives Ibushi one of his stupid edgelord stares that I guess is supposed to be cool. And then Ibushi <laughs> makes his face back at him. And all of this looks so fucking stupid. This exact sequence was the kind of shit people, you know, gif or gif, whatever the fuck it is, from major New Japan matches and make fun of. And honestly, rightfully so. Because this looked... So fucking stupid. I do not need the two of you having a fucking staring contest. I get it. You counter the move. Do something else. Hit him or something. You don't have to fucking like, oh, look at me. Coda. I had landed on my feet. Like, that was, to me, the soundtrack of the spot. When it was like, I don't want to watch this. I just want to watch you guys wrestle. I don't want to watch these fucking 
I, it looks like you're in a fucking Zack Snyder movie or something. I just just wrestle, and it just really didn't work at all. Um, Coda finally breaks the sexual tension with a reverse <laughs> Rana that sends Osprey to the floor, uh, and then he hits Osprey with a Swan Dive German. Osprey comes back with his standing Spanish fly, not a particularly great one or anything. It was fine, and then he hits the Oz Cutter. Ibushi kicks out of course, and that move never pins anyone now. Uh, Osprey hits his new spitting hidden blade to the back of Coda's head, goes for the Stormbreaker. Coda escapes. He hits a standing common go A, followed by a second common go A, but Osprey kicks out too, because again, that I think was also supposed to be surprising, but given how many people are kicking out of the common go A this lately, especially the first one, uh, it really didn't surprise me at all. It just it, it felt too sudden to be the finish anyway. Um, and then a much better near fall was Osprey getting an inside cradle on Ibushi out of the Kamigoe. I kind of wish they just made that the finish. Because, <laughs> like, that was such a cool counter. And the ball... If you're going to have the guy win anyway, you might as well fucking let him win the roll-up. Why not? Because hmm. I, I, I love Flash Cradle finishes. But yeah, Kota just barely kicked out. Um, Ibushi then avoided... Or, I'm sorry, Osprey avoided the V-trigger. Uh, the big V-trigger sound that Kota does. Uh, hit his hook super kick. And then hit a huge running high knee of his own. Uh, sent Coda absolutely flying. That was really cool. And then followed up with the charge up hidden blade. Gives him to get the 30-minute call. Then hits a Stormbreaker. And that's the clean pin. Osprey wins the title. So this was by no means a bad match. Um, but to me, the awesome finishing sequence, if anything, just really saved it for me. I can only go so high on it, though, given all the other weirdness and issues with I had. I mean, Coda seemed off in the first half, especially during Osprey's heat period. Uh, they had a major botch to a degree you don't usually see in a big New Japan main event. And a lot of it just bored me. So, I mean, that's all comes down to it. So I went three and a half. I mean, by the end of it, it's a good match. Uh, the finishing sequence really saves it, but it's not close to four star plus level to me. Like the four, I get where the four stars are coming from, like four flat, whatever, but the people going like four and a half, uh, I, I just don't get it. But. I mean, I'm probably a four and a quarter, I think. I think it's interesting what you said about you know, the slow, I mean, I, I put methodical. I think that that's a bit in the eye of the beholder, but this is something I'm really into in Osprey's work at the minute is I'm trying to think of a comparison for it. And the best one I can think of is like the shining, you know, like how the horror is like really built up and really slow. You know exactly what's going to come. Um, the best example from Osprey is the New Japan Cup final, you know, when he did the spot to Shingo to the outside and you knew exactly the 450 and you knew exactly what he was going to do. And he, he, he really took his time to let the audience and let me kind of breathe in like this awful move that was going to come. And there was sort of little elements of that here with the when he had him draped over the the apron and he, he did the double um, foot stomp to his neck outside. Um, I mean, I, I do agree that the... The, the Poison Rana thing should have been cool. I think that's what's frustrating about it. I think if you'd have just looked at him and they'd looked at each other, I think it would have been okay. But like you say, that kind of, the 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 Matrix kind of come on, then let's go hand motion, it just, it, it, it just kind of killed it a little bit. One spot I did really like, though, was that Ibushi roll into a huge suplex. Like the strength and the control, as Kevin Kelly said, and, you know, the way he was able to roll through, like hook his arm under and lift it up. That's the Ibushi that I, I really like. Um, and the German as well. I think, you know, they did the sort of the top rope German where he landed on his head. No, and if it was, yeah, I mean, it, sorry, yeah. Uh, if it was 
any other wrestler. Uh, so if, if it was any other than these two wrestlers, in fact, I would think that was a botch. But I really think when they were blocking this match out that they decided, hey, I'm going to land. I'm, I'm just going to land on my head. You know, that, that it's just that kind of insanity that they bring. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I say, I'm, I'm probably 4.25. Four um, I, I think it's interesting that, that Osprey does have a few finishes now. I like that. I don't like the camera. Wait, well, you now. think you think he has a few finishers? I I don't think he yeah, can do anything he, except the Stormbreaker. What well, doesn't he finish with the um, the Hidden Blade sometimes as well? Uh, maybe you're right. I don't know. I can't. Did, did he win with anybody? I felt like I watched the New Japan Cup and he won every match with the Stormbreaker, but I guess I could be wrong. They've been selling something about his arm as well, haven't they? That he can't use the Hidden Blade as much because he's 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 got an injured arm. Um, I think, you know, I, I just, I kind of, I'm really into the way Osprey moves around. You know, he did the kind of the Marafuji kind of hook kick and he, the, the, like the way he was just kind of stalking him around him. And I think he's good at that anyway. And the huge knee that came after uh, was killer. The knee but, was really cool. I don't think I've ever seen him do that before. Yeah, it was awesome. I really enjoyed that. Um, I think he's working smarter. I think he's, he's working a lot better than he ever has done. Um, but as you said at the start, you know he's going to get the microphone and deliver a promo that just it was the, to me the the one with this one was the Conor McGregor line. You know he, he said the um, I'm going to apologise to absolutely for, and it's just it was embarrassing. I was embarrassed for him. I was embarrassed to be watching it. Um, <laughs> you know compared to him standing in the ring with two belts on his shoulders saying God is dead and having a big long pause. Like compare that to doing a Conor McGregor cosplay. I'll take that. I mean, I, I don't think he's Nietzsche. I don't think he's asking us to replace religion with culture or anything like that. I just think it was a cool line with two belts that look badass and he, he just kind of ruins it afterwards. Oh no, yeah. sorry. He didn't shout God is dead. Now that was later on. He was saying, tell us now, you know, tell like tell me like I can't do this now, and and, and yeah. that was a, a really cool little moment. But yeah, the Kamagoya is weird now, isn't it? It's like it's, it's a new I, I, don't, I mean, has he hurt somebody? And he, he doesn't because he used to really, really hit that. Oh, move. you you mean that he lands a lot softer now? Yeah, I don't. know. Oh, I think so. I, yeah, I noticed that a lot too. Yeah, it just it feels like he he barely hits the guy with it now. So I don't know. Maybe he maybe he did fuck somebody up with it, and I told him. He had to chill a little bit. I thought you were talking about the fact that it doesn't pay anybody now until like the fourth try. Oh, that as well. Yeah. To me, well. for that, it's like the new, it's a new Bamaye where Shinsuke had hit like seven of them to win the fucking match. So I guess it makes, it's fitting for Koda given that's his god and all. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't, it's just not a match that connected with me on that level. But, you know, the finishing stretch was really cool and did save it to a degree. So it's not like it was a bad match or anything. But there was so much in this match where like, Kota Ibushi just felt like he wasn't on his game. And, you know, I mean, it's hard to – I mean, nobody really knows why. But, like, it wouldn't surprise me if it was because he's going out there like, great, you maybe unify these belts and I got to fucking lose it. It's just, you know, Mm. I I mean, I'd be thinking that if I was him. So, I don't know. Who the fuck – that's probably playing too much amateur psychologist, but it is a – the thought definitely ran through my head. Um. Okay, before we get to the rest of Sakura Genesis, let me uh, plug the Omikaze Patreon, which I forgot to do earlier. We do have an ad to read this week, too, so we'll do that in a little bit. But uh, first of all, the Omikaze Patreon is at patreon.com slash wrestlingomikaze. We've been doing our one-match episodes with patron-submitted matches. Uh, Most recently, we did a Brian Danielson versus Low-Key match from Jersey All-Pro Wrestling in 2002, a match I'd never seen before, so that was really cool. 
We did a progress match, which I've also never seen before because I've never, not a huge Brit Rest guy, no offense to Neil. Uh, but I mean, I've never really. I'm not a it. huge Brit Rest guy these days. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the match I watched, I mean, the match that was sent in was incredible. It was uh, Walter versus Timothy Thatcher uh, from January 2018 in progress, which, like, if I had watched that match at the time, I probably would have made my match of the year list that year. So you can hear me rave about that one on the Omakase Patreon. Um, but yeah, we've been doing that. And upcoming now, we have the Champion Carnival. Basically, April is Champion Carnival month. So if you sign up now, patreon.com slash wrestling omakase, you get a bonus episode this week, uh, a Champion Carnival Finals Retro Roulette, uh, where myself and uh, the guest from last week, actually, Jerry Evans, will be talking about five random Champion Carnival Finals, which uh, we picked a great, we got a great five that were picked out for us, honestly, the, by the randomizers. So you know, spreading multiple decades, like four decades, really. So, you know, it'll be a lot of fun to talk about. And then uh, we'll be talking about daily coverage of this year's Champion Carnival. Every show except for one uh, that'll be on the free feed. But every other show will be exclusively on the Patreon. So if you want to hear my thoughts day by day as the Champion Carnival goes on, uh, the only place to do it will be patreon.com slash wrestlingomakase including the finals. The finals will be on a weekday, so we'll be covering that on the Patreon. So again, uh, patreon.com slash wrestlingomakase, only $5. You get our daily champion carnival audio. You get every other piece of audio we've ever done. Tons of historical content. uh, Tons of stuff from when I actually liked wrestling. So you can hear me talk all about it. All the Tanahashi Okada matches in order. All the Naito Ishii matches in order if you want to relive the glory days of New Japan. So all that stuff is on there. So definitely check that out. Patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. Okay, let's get into the semi-main event here for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Titles. Punky 3K defeats Desperado and Kanemaru. Yo pins Kanemaru in 2048 with the direct drive, his new uh, singles finisher, I guess, to become the new IWGP Junior Tag Team Champions. Uh, the first thing, obviously, is Punky 3K has a weird new piano theme song what do you think of this neil i don't know if i liked it or not it's i think very good, obviously but i mean i like prog you know i like king crimson i like you know tangerine dream the usual stuff i'm not sure it works as somebody's wrestling theme yeah because i was sort of confused at the the general presentation of Rapongi 3k you know they've gone from being kind of the party boys to being really serious um and I, I, I like that, I think, but I'm not sure the match kind of led into that. Like, if you think you want Yo's big return and you want... I'll be honest, I thought they were going to do an angle. I really did. I was expecting an angle. And it was only when the match went longer than, you know, when it when it sort of hit the 10-minute mark and I realized, that oh, actually, I think they're just going to do a match here. Well, yeah, um, Yo's new outfit looked kind of heelish, right? It's like all black. Yeah. It's a little and bit the- of white. There was kind of like a separateness to them as well. Like there was often, you know, when Yo was doing the promo at the end, I thought Show had left, but he was sort of hiding in the corner. They didn't seem like the cohesive group that they were before. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, th- this is like an age-old story, isn't it, with Rapongi 3K? They've they've outgrown the division. They, they've they sort of big. So, sorry, I, I used the WWEism then. Uh, they've got, you know, they're they're, they're bigger than what they're doing. Um, I'm not sure I would go in on Yo like they did. I think Show is the clear star of the two. I think it was weird the way they presented um like Yo was he struggled in this match. Like they presented like he like they really played up the injury. 
and it, it it sort of felt a little bit counterproductive to me as as the guy who was returning and he's well, going to challenge for the big I will belt. Say- In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing slab packs from Arena Club. Com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network they do that a lot though with the yeah junior. like when when a guy's coming back not just with juniors but with any japanese wrestler they i mean in, in old times the guy coming back gets pit like that's how they always used to do it uh, like when I first started watching Japanese wrestling, like if a guy was returning from injury, the idea is he's still weak from his injury and he's rusty, so he gets pinned. So like you know, Kenta Kobashi, like stars at that level, will get pinned in the return matches. So you know that was really just the way it was done. Um, you know, here it's like they. I thought they did a good job with working over Yo's leg, and I thought Yo did a good job selling it. But I guess the idea was that he was able to fight through and you know, get this like twisty double arm DDT thing on Kanemaru for the pin. I don't know if I liked that or not. It was a weird finisher, but I don't know. 
I mean, so, Suzuki Gun yeah. were great. Like, like the way, like you say, the way they tie, and that's the way they wrestle anyway. So I, I absolutely love, you know, like the way that that Desperado was kind of taking a lot of that early offense, but then Kanemaru was kind of on the outside, just waiting for his opportunity to jump in and get a, a cheeky strike in, or you know, do something on the outside. Like, I, I, when I write about them a lot, I say they kind of wrestle like a pack of wolves. You know, like they're always waiting to to just sort of pounce on you, and you never know where the strike's coming from. And yeah, yeah. like they're. I mean, Suzuki are my favourite faction in the company. You know, I, I think the, just the way they wrestle is 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 really captivating. I, mean, I thought they're, it was they're my, my second favourite. I was going to say they're my second favourite LNJ, so I love them too. But the one thing that I noticed during this match, and maybe I mean, look, it's hard to have a lot of faith in New Japan booking at the moment. I think the most optimistic thing you can take away from this is maybe they're planting the seeds for a, a Rapungi three K breakup in not that long to come because yeah they, you know they've acted yo was acting a little heelish he was like choking desperado was boot in the corner show did join in but it took like a little bit before he did um and like you know yo had like a different energy had like a different costume i mean in like you you've been you did mention it, they didn't seem like they were like perfectly cohesive or like you know um really like hanging out after the match or anything so maybe the idea is that they've grown apart now and they're gonna, they are gonna do the breakup angle at some point, but you know that's obviously the most optimistic way of looking at it. They could just fucking team together the next half decade for all I know. I mean, so. I think they will. I mean, that it just stinks of repetition, doesn't it? This, I mean, every Wrestle Kingdom, we'd be thinking that something was going to happen, and it, it just never seems to. The, I mean, the only thing I thought would be kind of cool is that maybe if if Yo beats Desperado and then shows the challenger, uh, yeah. but then that means El Desperado loses the belt, which I'm, I'm not sure is a good idea, but. Who? What are they going to do in the? What are they going to do in the junior tag division? Like what? What? Like what's the road for these champions now? Like who are they going to face? Yeah, I mean, so overall, I thought this was good, but not great. Um, you know, it was mostly Yo selling the leg for most of the match before just hitting his new finisher out of nowhere. Uh, I did think his selling was quite good, so that's nice. But it just wasn't the most exciting or interesting match to me. Um, you know, and given how thin this card is, I just would have liked to see a better semi-main event than this. So I'll go three and a half. It was another good match, but just nothing. Nothing I'm going to tell you. You have to run out and see. Yeah, I'm the same. He was all right. He was fine. Was, well, no, he was good. He was yeah, three and a half. He was good. Uh, match number four was Hiroshi Tanahashi and Satoshi Kojima defeating Jay White and Bad Luck Fale. Tanahashi pinning Fale in ten oh five with the high fly flow. Um, <laughs> so this was like one of two matches that were like, oh, we got to get through this one, huh? Because, like, this is match two. Match two, because I wanted to see who X was going to be. Uh, it's kind of a letdown, but anyway. And this one was like, uh, you know, I just want to get to the title matches here. And it was like, yeah, we still have to watch this match. Um, you know, this was a... Uh, it was a match. I mean, you know, it was perfectly <laughs> fine. I mean, Jay White needing Gato to, like, grab Kojima's light on the top rope to let him get an edge over the New Japan dad. That sort of thing should not still be happening. Uh, but the end of the match was pretty good you know tanahashi and kojima get a big double team flurry on Fale, and it leads to tanahashi pinning him with the high fly flow kind of a surprising finish for kojima right there and also a weird way to build jay jay white up as never challenger but uh whatever i guess but yeah i mean i would say slightly above average at best like two and three quarters just not much stood out about it to me until the finish with tanahashi and kojima uh double teaming Fale, which was a lot of fun but you know that was really the only highlight yeah, I think I think I'm just done with the Jay White Tanahashi thing. I'm not 
I'm not particular. I, I didn't like the cup match. I, I'm, I'm not particularly interested in it going. I kind of feel like they never the the challenge should have happened by now. It feels like they're just spinning wheels. And well, Fale, it did happen after the match, I guess. But yeah, like no, I feel like the match should have happened oh, by I now. See, see. Like they're just dragging this out. I mean, my first thought was Fale's not a good fit for the spot, and it's it's like the match after intermission on a like a, a relatively throwaway tag match. So you know, Fale just needs to go now. I think. And it, yeah. do you know, actually, what was interesting when we were talking before about the belts is this was another moment where Chris Charlton was talking about um, Jay White's kind of motivation is that he wants the quadruple slam. You know, he wants to have had like the four belts, um, which I just think but, but the lineage has changed now. You know what I mean? I yeah. don't know if that... Like, yeah. like, it was like a, another sort of moment of like, where it made me think, oh, okay, like you, you, also the U.S. belt has been stranded overseas for a year and a half, or a year, or over a year, I guess, at this point. So, like, really, is, are we even really counting it at this point? And it's just really bizarre. Do you know there is actually this one thing that I'm sick of in these matches, and it's the waist lock reversal things, and it ju- it looks so bad. It looks like sort of I don't, I don't even, I can't even think of a comparison. I just, it looks clunky and messy, and it's, it's just, it's just a really strange, weird thing that they, they, they obsess over getting caught in. That I wish, I wish they'd just stop doing it. Um, Tanahashi afterwards puts Jay in the Texas Cloverleaf. Jay starts tapping, so I guess the idea is Cloverleaf versus the TTO, and Tanahashi gets the mic afterwards and says in English, he says he accepts Jay's challenge because he tapped after his Cloverleaf just now. Okay, that's interesting logic. <laughs> I just submitted you, so now I will take your challenge. Stretching uh, the word challenge there, isn't it? If you could beat the guy. He then says it's the JTO. That's kind. Of, that was actually kind of funny. And Jay though leaves a big grin on his face, of course, because he got the never title shot he wanted. So I'm going. I'm sure he's going to say in the back that he tapped out on purpose just to get Tanahashi to accept his match. But there you go. Uh, before I get to the second half of the card, uh, I need to let you know that this week's episode of Wrestling Omikase is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Uh, Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over the technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Uh, it's trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. We have an exclusive offer, offer for Omikase listeners, uh, 20% off and free shipping with the code Omikase at manscaped.com. So again, uh, manscapes.com, 20% off, free shipping. Uh, again, that comes with the code omakase at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All righty. Uh, match number three is a six-man tag team match with the Empire team of the Great Okan, Jeff Cobb, and Aaron Hanare which I believe is just like his actual name, right? Um, I think so. Is that just like his actual name? Um, which I, I was not expecting the new big heel to be some guy named Aaron, basically. But <laughs> I guess that's fine. Um, but yeah, so Aaron Hanare, he's the, the big new member here of the Empire. He gets the pin over Sonata and 951 with the Street of Rage. Cool okay. name. <laughs> Street of Rage. <laughs> uh, okay, but yeah, um, this was the uh, big reveal of X. You know, I went through this in the Soccer Genesis preview that I did, 
where, um, you know, I, I said the, the two big possibilities were either Hanare or Shota Umino. And I forgot about Carl Fredericks. I guess he was in the running too, but it ended up being Hanare. And, you know, the, the negative is it's fucking Hanare. I mean, this is the guy who we just saw doing 10,000 jobs, you know, for the New Japan Army. Um, you know, it, it's a little bit underwhelming for a guy who Great Okan was hyping up as like, you know, he's like, oh, he could be the biggest threat to me or Osprey. Like, he might even surpass us both. It's like, okay, it's fucking Hanare. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand, on the other on the positive side, he looked pretty cool when he came out. I mean, the the, the gear looked cool. The you know, the, I like the sunglasses for him. He looked like a badass, so that's all good. And it means, thank God, the for us anyone who listens to New Japan promos, like I usually watch the promos even when I don't watch the Road Two shows. We will finally be spared from Hanare cutting the exact same fucking promo. On literally every wrestling show he's ever appeared on, we're finally spared from an already going on and on for like three minutes about how he gives it his all for the fans and he's not going to give up. And he's going to get better someday. I listened to him cut that exact promo for what felt like decades of my life. It was actually like two or three years. I mean, he never, like, the promo was exactly the same. Everyone's repetitive to a degree with these promos, but Toa Hanare's promos. And I, I'm not even blaming the guy because he didn't have much to work with. He just, he lost every match. But like, it was basically like listening to these Young Lion promos, but for like three straight years. And it was like, it was horrible. So yeah, so finally get to say something else besides I tried my best and I lost. Uh, so good for him. But, you know, I don't know. What do you think of the big X reveal here? Yeah, I mean, it was chalk. It wasn't sort of a big surprise. It was just... I mean, I saw something on Twitter um, that said, uh, what if it's Kitamura? Which would have, like, once somebody said that to me, I just thought, no, everything else is going to be a letdown. <laughs> he was he was on a bodybuilding competition or something, I think. Right. I mean, I, I'm going to use a phrase here, and I, I'm going to, I can almost feel people's eyes rolling when I say it, but I think Hanare deserves a little bit of something. And, I, I you know, I, I don't think anybody deserves anything in wrestling. You get what you get. But I do think that he's... You know, he ne- he never got the excursion. He's somebody who you know got thrown in Rambo's essentially, and and you know he, he got over with me based on just being an interesting worker. I think he did a good job. I feel bad, kind of hyper analyzing things because it is his first time out, and there there is a lot of sort of time to 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 get things sorted. Um. I really liked the way he was throwing like huge haymakers and punches. It felt a little bit different. Um, I did wonder about the knee at the start of the match, actually. Like he, he just seemed to miss a few sort of a, a few steps. And again, like, you know, I, I don't want to be hypercritical because I think generally overall it worked. Um, you know, and he didn't have the advantage. Like I, I wrote a lot because I, when I covered RevPro, I'd write a lot about Great Okan, and I really railed how like how badly he was doing that gimmick in RevPro. Um, you know, the, the napkin thing, and I think it's all having that time to practice and um, having that time to you know go on excursion. Basically, really works. And Hanare's not had that. Really not a fan of his finisher. I have to say, like he was basically a DVD a with the tricks. Yeah, it's like a fucking Death Valley driver, except he... Like, okay, it's one of those moves where the actual lift has nothing to do with the actual move. Like, he grabs yeah. the guy in a fisherman suplex position and, like, puts him up onto his shoulders and then just gives him a Death Valley driver. It's like, 
hooking the leg at a death in a fisherman suplex has nothing to do with the move you deliver. Yeah. It so has just, no bearing on the impact of the you, move whatsoever. You may, you may as well be like, you may as well be like, look, I'm doing a death by driver while I whistle the fucking American national anthem before I do it. It's like it has just as much to do with the actual fucking move. Like, just do a little like you can't see me with your hand or something. It has as much to do with the move. Like, it just really, really was stupid. Um, so yeah, that was, that was definitely a negative. I like the theme song now. Like yeah, theme song's song. great. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure about him being paired with, I mean, I'm super down on Sonata anyway, and pairing him with him, I just, it seems like that's the direction they're going in and I could kind of do without that. I get that Sonata's not doing very much at the minute and I'd rather he was doing that than being in the main event scene, but. Well, the idea I, is that I guess they're going to pair them up because Naito, you know, they're going to have LIJ versus United Empire all tour. Because Naito will have Okan and Shingo will have, yeah, uh, you know Shingo has Osprey, obviously. It's oh, quite a mention, cool we little. Um... We didn't mention that Osprey came. Osprey called out Okada. Shingo came out instead, and it'll be Shingo and Osprey at Dontaku, and then Okada gets the winner, which will presumably be at Yokohama. Maybe it'll be the Tokyo Dome. I don't know, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, so this was. You know, I don't know. Um, I liked. I thought Hanari in the ring looked pretty decent, other than the, the stupid finisher. Um, and I thought this match was pretty good. I mean, I thought they there's like some really fast paced stuff. Everybody just kind of like hitting their moves on each other one after another, which is the best the best kind of sequence you can get from these multi man tags. And the finish is really cool with Cobb, you know, catching Sonata coming off the ropes, looking for yeah. a springboard drop kick, hitting the tour of the islands on him as soon as he lands, and then he lets Hanari pick him up and hit his new finisher. Uh, which we already buried, but yeah. I mean, he heel cop's great. I, I really like heel cop. I, yeah. I always found him a bit like babyface cop was just a bit corny. Felt a bit okay. awkward, like he wasn't really comfortable. You know, doing the eyebrow thing that he did, and whereas all he need a man of that size, all he needs to do is walk to the ring with a scowl on his face, and it just it gets over so much more. And yeah, I'm, I'm really into cop at the minute. I think he's great. He laid out a bushy too at the end of the show, so maybe that'll be another match for the Dantaku tour. Oh, and the look on his face as well when he did it. Like, he had tears in his eyes. Like, uh, uh, yeah, that was, I'd love that moment of that shot on his face. That was fantastic. Um, but yeah, so so afterwards, after the match is over, Hanari kept pounding on Sonata with punches. Uh, he and Cobb gave Shingo a double headbutt when he tried to save. And then Okan kept attacking Naito on the outside and tossed him in the ring where, you know, Cobb and Hanari could hold him. So Okan get him repeatedly in the leg with a chair. So I don't know. Bushi was getting his nails done or something. I don't know what he was doing, but these these three left Lij laying, uh, so they have to get help to the back. And I guess you know that'll be a big Lij going for revenge on United Empire will be a big theme of the Dontaku tour, I'm sure. Uh, the one thing about United Empire that re- that remains interesting, at least, is it's nice to see a heel unit in this company who doesn't need a bunch of fucking run-ins or yeah. interference or even cheating really of any kind to win these matches or leave the babyfaces laying. Because boy, do we have enough of that already. Uh, that is for sure. It's but just yeah, a nice um, oh, yeah. slow little build as well, isn't it? Just a nice kind of, you know, I know there's this big thing that people, you know, really don't like what they're doing with Great Okan, but when you look at it, they just, you know, they beat the old dad, the, the, the dads, the old guys. He got a win against Naito in the cup when, um, he, you know, a few days after the big match against Ibushi, and now they're on to that next level facing off against um, LIJ, in a feud, I think it's just a nice, steady build, a nice, steady story that, I'm, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, so this was quite fun. Easily the highlight of the undercard, I think, up to this point for sure. 
Uh, everybody worked hard. I went like three and a quarter stars. So pretty good. Uh, match number two, on the other hand, I did not think was pretty good. There was Okada, Toriano, Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi beating Evil, Kenta, Yujiro, Taiji, and Dick Togo. Yano pinned Togo in 1137. I fucking hated this match. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even really understand why I hated this so much, but like, I, just like, there was like, um, you know, there was that, like I said before, like that feeling like I just need to get through this to find out who the X was going to be, which, you know, that was like one of the only two things in the show I was really interested in. And, you know, there just was nothing to this match. Bullet Club worked over Yoshihashi um, with all the usual stuff. Uh, and then we kind of got like the same old bullshit with the spoilers choker on Yano. Yano low blowed Togo on Evil. He pulled a fucking hood out of his tights, which, first of all, why do you have a hood in your tights? He puts it over Dick Togo's head and rolls up Togo for the pen. I, like, even, even on the standards of Yano and Bullet Club, that was a terrible finish. And well, didn't he want to turn the lights out for uh, Dick Togo? In sure, the same, like the, 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 which I mean, I'm not, I'm not defending it. I'm not saying that's clever. I'm this, just saying that's what it this is. This was absolute junk. Almost nothing worthwhile here. Outside of like maybe the opening minute with like uh, Goto and Yoshihashi doing some double team moves. Uh, I gave this a half star. I fucking hated oh, this. Wow, half a really a bad undercard tag. Both these units are staler than fucking day old bread at this point. And who could, I mean, honestly, who could possibly care about Kenta stealing Yoshihashi's stupid walking stick back? Like, uh, Yoshi almost got it back, but Kenta stole it back again. We just did this fucking angle <laughs> on the new beginning tour with the fucking Iron Fingers. Why are we doing another stolen item storyline in fucking New Japan in April? They did uh, did it we, am I going insane? Did we not all just live through this fucking Iron Fingers shit for a month and a half? That happened, right? I'm not going crazy. <laughs> that happened. That okay. happened. But we're li- so now it's just the, the case of a stolen stick. I'm like I'm really <laughs> supposed to give a shit. I, Dude, I, I tell you who was who wasn't bothered. Which I, this, this is probably my favorite part of the match is that when he stole the stick and Ishi, you know, they're annoyed that the, he's that they they're offended the honor of Yoshihashi, and then Okada's just kind of like with his arms raised, cheering to himself that he won the match. <laughs> and, you know, which I really like. Look, I, I, I don't say this often, but that was that is relatable content on the behalf of Okada. He's I tell not, you about not, Okada not as well. That boy has not got a slip disc, has he? The way he was jumping around. Yeah. Like, he, he worked me. I put in a review of his match about Shingo, how much I really enjoyed the way Shingo was able to work and protect his back. And the way he was jumping across the ring, I thought, you made a fucking idiot out of me, Okada. Yeah, I mean, I've heard his back is, like, kind of fucked up, but definitely they over-exaggerated the slip disc then. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I like this is if this feels like a waste of Kenta. I mean that he's in this never six man bullshit, and I just I can't imagine anybody caring about this. Like who fucking cares that Kenta stole a stick? Just <laughs> just doesn't fucking. I just can't imagine anyone caring. So really stupid feud, really stupid match. Okada and Evil like the zombie feud that already ended, just staggering along because there's nothing else for them to do. Just. Yeah, horrible. Uh, opening match was pretty good. Uh, this was the team of the Dangerous Techers and Doki defeating G.O.D. and Jado. Uh, Zach pitting Tangaloa in 10-10 with the European Clutch. I thought this was a perfectly fine opener. Um, you know, we got the big brawl around ringside, uh, which you could have set your watch to that to this match starting with that. And then Tonga and Zach had, a, I thought, a pretty damn fun power versus speed exchange with Zach 
like continually avoiding his bigger foe before mm. he finally got squashed in the corner. And then he managed to escape a power bomb and, you know, took him down to a cross arm breaker. I mean, these two were like the highlight of the last tag title match too. So, you know, they just, they weirdly like work really well together. Tonga Loma Yeah, they were great. I mean, that bit that you said where, you know, Tango Loa was kind of walking towards him like a T-1000. And, you know, I mean, I, I love Zach. Zach's probably, dare I say, my favorite wrestler. I think he's, I, I think a lot of it is I'm from the north of England and we have That's Wigan right. and the Snake Pit nearby. And I like the fact he's doing that style. But, it's not like a, but it's not like a hokey callback either. It's like yeah. a, like a respectful and it's bringing it forward and innovating as well. And, you know, yeah, I thought Tango, I mean, they, he kind of had to be, didn't he? Because they were going to pin him. So they gave him a lot, and but he, he, he worked with it really well. What I thought was nuts is that Tango Lowe's been in the company for five years. Yeah. I was surprised he mentioned that on commentary. And I, it kind of says a lot about the tag division that it feels like he's just doing the same old stuff. It feels like he's still waiting for something to happen. And I don't yes. mean a singles push, obviously, like it, that's nonsense. Um, yeah. Just something to happen with the tag division would be cool. I was in the, I think, I, I was in the building when I think they won the belts for the first time. I was Invasion Attack 2016, which cool. is the semi-main event where they beat Makabe and Hanma, which the entire crowd used as their bathroom break. Hmm. Uh, like, I mean, you've because they, <laughs> they, like, they just got rid of intermission. And, you know, this was the semi-main before Naito Okada. So nobody wants to go to the bathroom during Naito Okada or, or smoke a cigarette or something. So everybody was like, all right, here I go to the bathroom. Here I go to the balcony and smoke. It was like just mass exodus. So, those poor guys never really had a chance. Uh, the but yes, this match I thought was fine. Uh, perfect, actually, you know, decent, pretty good. Uh, Tonga Tama Tonga comes in with the iron fingers again. You'd think Taichi would learn to leave those in the back by now against them at least. Uh, but Taichi gets them back, nails Tama with it, and then Tonga briefly gets a hold of them. But Zach is able to get him in a Japanese uh, leg roll clutch from behind, or I guess European clutch, whatever, and pin him. Uh, which should obviously lead to an IWGP tag title shot during the upcoming Duntaku tour. So pretty fun opener. Three stars. Uh, the Tonga Zack exchange in the middle was easily the highlight, uh, which made up for the finish being a bit goofy. Um, afterwards, though, the, the best, maybe the highlight of the show was Chairman Shukabayashi taking the iron fingers away and leaving, which I was like, okay. First, just a picture of this very. Like middle, this middle-aged or older Japanese man, this very quiet little man, grabbing these fingers, like, no, these are mine now. Look at the, the fucking teacher in your class, like taking away the kid's shit, basically, is what it looked like. And then he leaves, leaves with them, and Taichi's repeatedly yelling "Kaicho," which is like Japanese for president, and like just screaming at him to try to get him back. And Tama on the apron is just is almost as distraught as Taichi, and is yelling like insisting the fingers are his. And he's like, "Where are you taking my fingers?" That was really funny. Um, it does bear some questions, though, such as, one, why can't the rest do that? Why does it have to come down to the fucking chairman of the company to come mm -hmm. down and take these fingers away? And two, why does Chairman Sugabayashi or anyone else care about the 10,000 other weapons carried around by people in this company? I mean, Doki's lead pipe and Jado's kendo stick were both right out there at the same time. The Dick Togo has been choking people to death to, win e to help evil win matches. Gato has a like a pair of uh, fucking brass knuckles. I could probably go on. It's like the the, the Kaicho got to care about some of those too, doesn't he? Very bizarre. It's like no, the Iron Fingers is where I draw the line. Uh, you can you can choke somebody to death. That's fine. Just uh, very weird. But 
I just hope it's permanent. I hope it's the, the I can't do the bag thing again. Like I, <laughs> the opening the bags, I just it's, that's not for me. Uh, so yeah, overall, Sakura Genesis. I thought this was a, you know, it wasn't like these horrible shows like I talked about earlier. It was not Castle Tag Night One or New Beginning in Hiroshima, um, but it wasn't one of the better shows of the year either. It was like pretty average to you know, I would say leaning below average because. You know, just because from a personal standpoint, I did not love the main event result, obviously. And, you know, just, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I already went through the whole rant, I guess, about how I'm not really super into them right now. But we'll have to wait and see, I guess, what happens on the next few tours. Uh, We're recording this Sunday night, so we don't have, you know, any future dates in front of us or anything. But, uh, you know, I guess we'll wait and see what the Duntaku tour looks like. I'm not, I can't tell you I'm excited. I told you I was super excited about the New Japan going forward, I would be lying to you. So that's where we are. Any other final thoughts, I guess, before we move on? No, I think I, I liked it slightly more than you did. I think it's it's interesting to see the reaction to Will Ospreay getting it, as in there isn't one really kind of on the British side of things. I think people have completely checked out on him now and sort of the, the angle leading up to this match was the final nail in the coffin. Oh, yeah, he, he, ran, he ran off a ton of people. It's, a, it's, a, yeah. it's just a bit of a shame, you know, that we've got... Now we've got an IWGP um, world heavyweight champion who is, <laughs> I've got to think about it then, uh, who is British. And it's, you know, it, it, it just, it, this should, this should feel like a big moment. This should be somebody who, you know, I've been watching since, you know, the Lucha Britannia days. It, it should, it should, this should feel like a, a bigger moment. And cause he's, he's just a massive idiot. It isn't, is it? I mean, and I'm being diplomatic with that. I don't think that that's as far as it goes. I just, it's, it's just a bit of a shame, really. I just wanted to make sure I made that clear. Yeah. I mean, look, if you're a Will Ospreay fan, I'm not, I'm sure this was a great day for you, but I'm not. So, I mean, even putting aside the rest of it, uh, you know, all that stuff, I just, he's not a guy that is one of my favorites. He's not a guy I was going to be excited to see win the title. And, you know, it's just what it is. Okay, let's move over to DET. Uh, they had their Corkin last week, which we didn't do a normal show last week. We did the uh, WrestleMania Retro Roulette over on the Patreon. So we're covering this here now. It is DDT's Judgment 2021, 24th anniversary um, from Corkin Hall. March 28th, a 669 fans, I should say, which they're saying was the Super No Vacancy Full House. So I guess that's how many tickets they put on sale. Uh, the main event of the evening was the KOD Openweight title, a very divisive match here. Jun Akiyama defeated Kashisada Higuchi with a running knee butt in 2110, his first defense of the title after winning it from Endo last month. Um, I mean, look, where, where I come down this match is like, I, it's, it's again, it's a match where I totally get where people critiquing it are coming from. But it was also a match where I read a lot of those critiques before I watched it, read or listened in the case of, uh, you know, Joe on the flagship. And when I actually watched the match, like, you know, I, the critique going in was like, Akiyama worked on this guy's hand, his arm all this time. And when he actually came time for him to make his comeback, he did nothing but chops. He didn't sell the arm at all. And that to me felt so overblown. Like when I actually watched it, it was like, there is like one sequence where he throws a bunch of chops and doesn't sell it. It's like maybe five seconds long. And the, everything else he does with his arm down the stretch of the match, I mean, he sells that arm and that hand every time he does anything. 
I mean, there's one sequence of rapid fire chops where he doesn't sell it. And that's, if you want to point at that, that's fair. I don't, I don't, I don't really have a problem with it because he, I mean, this match, you know, like I said, was 20 minutes long and Akiyama at that point had not worked on the hand, especially the hand in, in quite a long time. He worked on the arm a little bit more recently, but the hand had been a long time. And, you know, Higuchi sold it like throughout the match. He did a really good job selling it, I thought. I mean, he would do, um, you know, he would like slap the hand to try to get the feeling back. Um, you know, he would be like, he couldn't get the full impact of it. There was even a moment where like he had didn't have enough power in his right hand to hook the other hand on a sleeper hold. So he bit his own thumb to provide leverage instead of putting the hands together. I don't think I've ever seen that before in a match. That was so fucking cool. And that was, again, another example of him not being able to use the full power of the arm and the hand. And then down the stretch when he's, you know, the entire point of this working over the hand and the arm was because he had pinned this guy in like three minutes with the brain claw uh, in the DO and Akiyama had to do whatever he could to avoid it. He did sell the brain claw was not as effective. I mean, that's what they were doing. You know, the brain claw, he would he would go to put it on. He'd be like slapping the arm and like punching the arm and trying to get it going. And, you know, he kept, Akiyama kept escaping. And then when he finally did get it, he couldn't keep him down this time. Um, also, I just realized, I think the, I said 2010, I think the, uh, I'm pretty sure they have a, that they're wrong. I think it was like 25 something. I don't know. Either way, um, maybe this was the 20 minute call, not the 25 minute call. But either way, the point is, um, you know, by the time Akiyama got out of the brain claw for the last time, you know, it, it, it really felt like the his strategy paid off, and that's why he won the match. So, yeah, I, I did not think they blew off the arm work at all. I think you could point to that one sequence where he throws a bunch of chops and say that was a problem. And I guess I wish he hadn't used that many chops in a row without selling the hand. That's fair. But I don't think it was, like, egregious. I've seen way more egregious matches with Lim selling, like, fucking uh, completely blown off that have been praised to the high heavens than this. I mean, there was that uh, Okada-Suzuki match where Suzuki, like, destroyed his leg for a half hour, and Okada leaped up and did a perfect drop kick. That that was a million times worse. I mean, there was even, like, um, you know, like Okada-Omega matches, of the the ones, I believe, either two out of three falls one or the 60-minute draw. They, they did a lot of leg work, and they just completely blew it off after that. I mean, there's all sorts of examples that I thought were way worse than this. I mean, they... You know, Higuchi was selling that arm all the way to the end. So, you know, I just, I don't really get that complaint at all. At least not to that degree. But yeah, um, you know, I thought this was an awesome match. I went four and a quarter. Uh, the best match of these two shows for sure. Um, you know, I just thought, the, like I said, the only complaints were maybe the actual handwork was a little dull at times. And I guess you could argue that if you wanted to drag a little bit. But I thought this was a really well-built match. And the Akiyama handwork played all the way into the end, um, you know, just w- with him having a hard time getting that brain claw that he won with the DO. And, you know, made total sense as Akiyama's strategy. So, yeah, this is awesome. Awesome first defense here for Akiyama. What do you think? Yeah, I liked it. I mean, it's interesting what you're saying about the selling. And I'm not one of these guys that has a, a really clear idea on what good selling is. You know, I think no selling or selling like death, It's it depends on the context. I don't think it's fair to say that he was no-selling here. I mean, Akiyama killed the arm. He was wrenching it around post. He was stamping on it. There was the old locking a hold and having crawl for the rope stuff as well. 
I just thought that the Gucci selling was just a little bit corny at times, and that was my criticism of the selling. But I wonder if it's because I'm the same as you. I saw the takes in the disc, in the uh, Slack chat, and on the on the flagship podcast, and I do wonder if I was just a bit more focused on it because of that. And that I think the bit that because I thought the selling was a little bit corny. It was like there was moments where he seemed to forget and then instantly remember and kind of sell it like a kid who caught his arm in a door. And I thought it was a shame at the spot where he did the sumo thing and he did the sumo charge into the corner and he hit the arm um, that was injured and, and that kind of led to the finish. And I just thought, because I didn't really believe the selling, I felt like it was pro wrestling selling and not that he'd hurt his arm. And I think that took a little bit of the kind of the juice out of it. But I still thought this was a, a great match. I mean, it was I went four stars on it. I thought it I thought it was really, really good. And I'm not a DDT guy. I parachute in and parachute out um sort of as and when people recommend things. So I'm I'm not au fait with the story as such, but you know, I, I, yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, you know, I love the bit with Higuchi just kind of booting Akiyama out the ring at the start with just complete disrespect, you know, and I'm just thinking, that's Jude, that's Jude Akiyama you're doing that to, you know, and, you know, I, I think it was just two stoic lads having a battle and that's the kind of wrestling I like. So, yeah, really good match. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the, the, you know, the, 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 the thing with the lack of respect too, that, that was totally built in the story too, where he just really doesn't think this guy should be... KOD champion. That was when, you know, at the end of the match, Akiyama made him put that belt on him, which, you know, was like the payoff of that storyline. Um, he then called out Don Chokudino, which, uh, you know, thrilled non DET fans, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, it, it basically, that was based off of Dino's little uh, feud with Akiyama's Junretsu mate Oishi earlier in the show, which I did not expect to lead to a main event angle. I mean, we'll get over, we'll go over that when we get to it. But I was like, oh, they actually. Akiyama was like, you made this guy, you made Makoto Oishi do this, uh, uh, what was it, anal zombie thing? And it's like, so, you know, I, that, that was basically why I called him out. So that was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, people are freaking out about this. It's going to happen next week. I mean, they, they booked this for a cork and, you know, two weeks later. So it's not like this is some big fucking big made of, big show made event or anything. And the DT fans are pretty excited for it, what I saw on Twitter. Like, you know, they're, I mean, even Joe said this on the flagship that DDT fans love him, and you know, the, the, there's definitely a huge fan base for Dino. So yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, I think people are pretty pumped for that, like the Japanese fans. So that will happen in two weeks, or or two weeks after this show, it'll happen next week. Uh, Akiyama versus Dino on the April 11th, April Fool Corican, which we are going to review on the next Omakase, by the way. So there you go. Um, the next match was the or the semifinal. Uh, was Damnation against the, I so they, the thirty seven Kamina. I, I think they're saying San Nan Kamina, like really uh, quickly saying Nani or, or Nana. I'm sorry for seven. So I don't know. I think it's San Na Kamina. Could be San Nana Kamina. I just don't hear the second Na. But either way, it's Kanosuke Takashita, Yuki Ueno, Shuma Katsumata, and Matt and Mao defeating Daisuke Sasaki, Tetsuya Endo, Yuji Hino, and Mad Pauly. Uh, Takashita pinned Pauly with the German suplex in 1608. Interesting that he got the win here because he's taken a month-long break. So that was uh, interesting that he got the pen. But yeah, I thought this was a good match. Um, you know, the uh, Shuma was all fired up even as the Damnation team was being introduced. He was like fanning his towel at them and, and trying mm. to throw forearms at Hino's chest who reacted like uh, he's bitten, being bit by a mosquito. But that was funny. 
And then Endo like grabbed him by the earlobe and tossed him out of the ring, which was pretty amusing. Uh, but yeah, Mao and Ueno also then tried to throw these forearms at his chest to uh, similar effect. But Takashita finally figured out that maybe you should elbow this guy in the head, which finally does have an effect as the bell rings. Um, but yeah, Endo and Mao, they had a cool little exchange. Did devolve into feeling maybe a little too cute at times in like almost like a U.S. indie type of way. I mean, a little double nip up at the end was, a again, a little too cute for my personal taste. But uh, then they cut Shuma off, worked him over for a while. We got all the kind of multi-man spots you'd expect. Uh, it took a triple-team dropkick to put Hino down. And then we get the big group dive with everyone but except Ueno. Uh, you know, the, the referee seemed to kind of make fun of him for not doing a dive, which I thought was pretty funny. But uh, then we got the big exchange with the eternal rivals, Takashita and Endo, uh, including a huge short-arm lariat from Takashita that nearly killed him. Um, you know, this is where I kind of was thinking about how Endo's last KOD title reign, you know, just ended in February to Akiyama with 252 days as champion. And yet, you know, it's a lo- quite a long time. But he never matched up with Takashita, so he's still never beaten Takashita in a big KOD title match. You know, Takashita has a perfect 4-0 record against him in KOD openweight title matches. Uh, the last one was Take ending Endo's first KOD title reign back at Peter Pan 2019. And Endo has won only four of their 13 meetings overall. Uh, his first win was a number one contendership match for the KOD title in August 2014. Uh, his second was just a normal singles match in September 2016. And his third and fourth ones came in two straight years of the D.O., uh, which for people, for people don't know, that's GAT's G1, basically. Uh, it, that was December 2018 and 2019. And that December 2019 one is their last singles meeting period. So we'll be inter- interesting to see when the time comes. Uh, you know, when will, when will these two meet in a major KOD title match again? And can Endo finally beat him in one of them? Just uh, maybe think about that when they were wrestling here. Uh, Takashita actually managed to give Pauly the last ride. That was pretty impressive. And he ends up putting him away with a huge lariat and then a German suplex hold. Um, yeah, this was, you know, a little sloppy early on, but, but they really turned it around. Became became quite awesome by the end. So I will split the difference and say three and a half stars. Fun match. Yeah, I'm similar. I thought it was fun. You know, I think Damnation are cool. There's no fat on them. You know, they're just baddies out there. Um, and the Takashita Rendo stuff was they say just like solid action, wasn't it? You know, I like the spots in the corner with the you know, damnation being naughty boys and piling on and wrestling like bullies and big men being big men. As, yeah, good match. Um, between matches five and six, we got the announcement that uh, Russell Peter Pan 2021, the big DDT show, will be outside this year. Uh, it will be on August 2nd at the Fujitsu Stadium Kawasaki which is a soccer field built on the grounds of the former Kawasaki Stadium. Of course, it's a very famous baseball stadium with many legendary wrestling shows, usually with, uh, you know, from FMW. So that's kind of cool. I don't think anyone's ever run that before. Uh, there were some pre-show announcements, by the way. I forgot to mention them. Uh, Yuki Ueno's next Universal Title Defense was scheduled on the May 4th Corican. Uh, at the time, it was against a TBA challenger, but since then, it's been announced as Soma Takao. Uh, from Damnation, who said Ueno was a weak champion. He only faces weak challengers, so he'll beat him. Uh, so there you go. We also got introduced to a new ring announcer, Ken Kato, who's a 40, 40, uh, 44-year-old comedian. He was making jokes about being the new guy, but yet being older than the other two announcers. Uh, and then we had Shota and Yuna Manase 
coming out to hype the April 7th Gambare Korokin. So if you're big into Gambare Pro, that's coming up in a few days. I don't know. I really don't know anyone who's big into Gambare Pro, honestly. Uh, and then the big news, Yusuke Okada officially signed with DET. I think that the news actually broke a few days before the show, but he did come out to, uh, you know, do the opening call. And I think there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people wondering why he hadn't signed at that point, you know, by then. And it was definitely, I think, relief, a relief for people who are big DET fans to see him sign after that amazing performance he had against uh, Yuki Ueno last month, which was still my DET match of the year and is in my overall top 10 match of the year list. Um, the There was also an awesome pre-match, uh, pre-show montage of all the prior KOD champions. I think all of them. I think they're all. I was going to point that out, actually. Yeah. That was an interesting thing. You know, obviously, kind of with the conversations that are going on now with about like belts and lineage that yeah. I mean, obviously I was aware of a lot of them, but I wasn't aware of like Ishikawa and people like that. And I just thought maybe I should pay more attention to this, you know, <laughs> like it was just <laughs> considering what's happening in new Japan. I thought was, a, was an interesting point. Well, yeah, Noah kind of did the same thing. So I think they're all subtweeting uh, new Japan right now, but yeah, so do was, they not normally do that. That was just, don't for normally show. Do that. That was just for the show. Yeah. Right. It was an awesome pre-show. It was a set to my chemical romances, uh, Welcome to the Black Parade of all things. What is that? Did, did they play that in the Universe feed too? Because I watched on Samurai. Yeah, yeah, that was on the okay. Universe feed. Yeah. yeah, I was just wondering, but it was a really cool promo. They, that so that song. Um, not that I'm a huge fucking My Chemical Romance fan or anything, but that song was like the uh, the intro song for the LA Kings, my favorite hockey team, the year they won the Stanley Cup in 2012 for the first time. So that song does have a weird. Uh, positive vibe with me i guess yeah it's just linked to that moment that's cool yeah uh match number five was hiroshima beating yukio sakaguchi with the soma or somato in 603 um this was the ddt 24th anniversary match i kind of figured they might do something like this like a really short match but i still thought this was awesome anyway i mean they did like some really cool mat wrestling at the start um you know, they end up on the floor where Hiroshima, like, sends him very violently into the apron, just fucking tossing him into it. And that sure looked like it sucked for Sakaguchi. And they do this really cool kick trading sequence back in the ring. They just, both guys, like, delivering kick after kick. And then Yukio ends up hitting a punch to the body uh, to put a stop to the sequence, which I sure did not, I did not expect that at all. And then Hiroshima, after selling that, though, answers, answers with his own body punch. And then they, you know, they start trading slaps. Hiroshima seems to be getting the better of it, but then Sakaguchi comes back with a high kick and a running knee attack, and Hiroshima answers with his own leaping high kick and then gets Samato out of nowhere uh, as Sakaguchi hits the mat for the win. Um, you know, this might be too high for a six-minute match, but I went, this four, I went four stars on this. I thought it was awesome. But they pretty much everything about it was pretty much owned, and I would highly recommend watching it. So that sounds like a four-star match to me. Oh yeah, this was my favorite match like of the show. I think the the main event was the best match. Well, this is my favorite one. You know the the kicks and then like Harashima kind of flexing his chest and puffing himself out and daring you know um, Sakaguchi to do one in return and those little moments where like Sakaguchi just look intense and you know he's got a cool look anyway. Um, despite the kick pads with no boots, which I'm kind of with Joe Lanza on that one. It's a bit of a pet hate of mine. Um, but yeah, the punches to the gut. And I like the fact it was a sudden ending. I like the fact it just, 
it, it was just quick and violent and brutal and you don't really get that very much anymore you know unless it's kind of dressed in kind of fake mma window dressing um i think it, there's no reason why we can't have like really quick violent matches like this and yeah i thought it was really good really enjoyed it um the fourth match on the show was the kod eight-man tag team titles Shinshiro Takagi, Yuki Onaya, Chikara, and Nabi Yakin defeating Shinya Aoki, uh, Super Sasadango Machine, Antonio Honda, and Kazuki Hirata. Uh, Naya pinned Sasadango with the backdrop in 948. So Aoki, Sasadango, Honda, and Hirata, they fail in their V1. And Team Thoroughbred, uh, more like Team Nepotism, if you ask me, they become the fourth KOD 8 man tag team champions, even though uh, really they're going the second because this is. Uh, Used to be a ten man title, but anybody. Anyway, um, I don't know. This this was the only thing on the show that just didn't really land with me at all. You know, I don't care about Chikara. Don't care about any other guys in Takagi's weird. Uh, you know, fucking we're all sons of somebody team. So the fail son team really. Um, it didn't even amuse me really in a comedy way or anything. It just wasn't a good wrestling match. Wasn't a good comedy match. Just kind of happened. Don't really have a ton to say about it. Yeah, and it had one of my real pet hates in wrestling. You know, when they do the clear out, the multi-man tag, and they clear everybody out. And the the weakest clear out I think I've ever seen, um, which really bugs me. Um, <laughs> I think this is just not for me. Like the Star Wars theme tune with the two sweets signed into a nipple hold. I just, I don't really get it. Like, yeah, I just that's don't his, his Gone the Fox thing, which is, uh, I don't know. It's just, he, tells a, he tells a story about the Fox every time when he's about to quit. So. The whole thing doesn't really matter though. That right. wasn't like that good. And the punches uh, in the group um, Hulk thing f- weren't snug. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I lost audio on you there for a second. What did you say? Oh no, sorry. It was just a, a snarky point about how the punches weren't snug in the uh, the group pile yeah. at the end. Um, match number three was Dan Shoku, Dino, Makoto Oishi, and Saki Akai beating Toro Washi, Akito, and Keiko Nakamura. Dino pin Nakamura, the Gado Clutch, uh, the Gado Clutch, I should say, in 916. Like it's G A Y D O, when it's Dino. Um, so, yeah, this was this comedy match I did enjoy um, because the, the storyline basically was like, and again, as always, huge thank you to DT English Update at DT Pro underscore ENG. So, Dino walks up to uh, Makoto backstage, and they're like longtime friends. And he asks, he tells him, let me explain our new double team. I get in the corner. Get my ass out. And he's like, uh, blah, blah, blah. And the opponents become zombies. It's called the analing dead. And it's like the, the joke is he did not really explain. Like uh, the English update guy translated as boom, bang, bang. In other words, like he didn't really explain how they this makes anybody a zombie. It just kind of happened. It just kind of happens, I guess. But Oishi is like, you know, look, I joined Jinretsu. And I've been learning the ways of Junakiyama. I can't do that shit anymore. And, you know, they start getting in a big argument. And Saki Akai walks up and is like, look, we got a match coming on. We just, like, work out your differences later. Let's go. But the basic idea was, like, Dino was still very upset from that exchange as he came out. And he was, like, bumping into Oishi on purpose and, like, standing in front of him when he's introduced and, like, doing his pose. Um, you know, just very not – being, not being nice to him at all. But, like, you know, they – like, Oishi acts like he's, like, not going to save Dino. Um but yeah, then he... Oh, no, Dino acts like he's not going to save Oishi. I'm sorry. And, you know, he then delivers this, like, Saki Kai, like, slaps him in the face. And then, like, basically, he delivers this long monologue and, like, 
decides to hit the ropes and then save him. Like, I think he says that out loud. I'm going to hit the ropes and save him. But unfortunately for him, uh, Toro Washi was listening because he trips him up on the outside. So it's pretty funny. Uh, but Oishi finally makes the ropes himself anyway. And the two of them deliver a 3D out of nowhere. Then Dino does the get the tables thing, except it's actually like get ready for me to get my ass out, I guess. Because then they go straight into the ass corner spot. Uh, Oishi still won't do it, but Awashi comes in uh, and like basically talk him and Akito talk him into doing it. Uh, but then, you know, he basically, uh, you know, Oishi like leads the crowd and chant, we want asshole, which is quite the chant. But, uh, you know, of course, he's the one who ends up getting his head shoved up Dino's ass, of course. And then music, I guess, I think it's from The Exorcist, right? That's what, I, that's what my girlfriend said. Do you, do you, did you recognize the music? Um, I didn't recognize it, no, maybe. Uh, well, that, some, some spooky music starts playing, and then Oishi turns into a zombie. He staggers over in the opposite corner, and of course, also pulls his pants down. And Dino, meanwhile, just pins Nakamura with a Gato clutch to win the match. And he and Saki just leave Oishi there as they celebrate the way of the back, which was funny. Uh, and then Makoto Oishi sits up in the corner and I guess has been revived back to a normal person because we just go straight to our next match. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it for what it was. It kind of reminds me of like 70s, like British humor, you know, kind of like the smutty. Like Mrs. Slocum is going to go and stroke a pussy, and ha ah, ha, she's talking about a cat kind of thing. I, I don't know if like he's got the same kind of energy to me as that. Um, I don't know. This <laughs> is uh, to be honest. This is kind of why I and I, the mistake is I think DDT, and this is what I think of when actually this show has kind of taught me that maybe I should be thinking more like the main event, you know, because they are great matches. Um, but yeah, it was what it was. Was it? it's it's it's, it's skippable. Uh, match number two was Soma Takao beating Hideki Okatani with the gin and tonic in 619. Uh, so this was, a, you know, Okatani put up a decent fight. Uh, Soma, you know, ended up putting him down with his big elbow, pulled him up in two, and then gave him the gin and tonic for the pen. Good little young boy versus veteran match. I would go three stars. Okatani showed good fire here. Yeah, that was cool. It's kind of like now there's this inversion, isn't there? Like when when somebody lifts the head up and doesn't get the pin, you kind of expect him like a big comeback. And here he just like dropped him on his head and pinned him. Yeah, which exactly. I, yeah, that was really cool. And it made sense too because he's going he's going to get the big title shot now. So you know, logical booking. Uh, match number one: Yusuke Okada and Yuji Ino beat Chris Brooks and Tori Kojima. Okada submitted Kojima with a crab hold in ten fifty one. I, first of all, I love Yuki Ino's Keep Calm and Sexy Wrestling t-shirt. It's like the perfect Japanglis shirt, you know? It's like, what does that even mean? Calm <laughs> um, and Sexy Wrestling. But it's great. Um, this is a really fun opener. All action. Uh, kind of surprisingly long to me. I mean, it only went under 11 minutes, but it felt, maybe it felt long, even longer, but not not in a bad way. Just like, you know, it was all action. Everybody looked good. Uh, especially the rookies. Uh the rookie Kojima I thought looked really good, and Okada continues to look awesome, uh, which he has looked since he first came to DET at the start of the year. Um, but yeah, so Okada ended up tapping out Kojima. Uh, I went three and a half on this. I really enjoyed it. I thought this was just like just a really strong opener. Yeah, it was just really cleverly put together, like not in an innovative way or an exciting way, just you know things like uh, Kojima um, 
like he couldn't lift up the big guy at the start, but then he could at the end once he powered up and he went for a crossbody and got it and got so excited and carried away that he went for it again. Uh, but the veteran moved out of the way, you know, just little things like that. It was a, it was just a really good match. Um, and Chris Brooks, I mean, I, I, I mean, Chris Brooks, I, I've got a real kind of thing against him now. It's getting a bit, I need to kind of have a word with myself and drop it. Cause like I spent a lot of time really not enjoying Chris Brooks at all. Um, well, I've he heard from really... people, I've heard from people who like watch a lot more Brit Rise than me that he, and then also watch a lot of DET that he was way worse in Britain than DET for some reason. I think part of the problem was that he kind of came up when, Brit Resset was starting to die. You know, people have been signed and progress had, had, had made the dirty deal and all that business. So he was everywhere and he was on every show and it felt like he would always have these moments where he'd go, oh, no, no, I am a wrestler, and then do like a technical wrestling move that he couldn't quite pull off. But then for some reason, people still really loved him. And then he was doing Manchester, where I'm from, he was doing Schadenfreude shows that were just these really bizarre like they'd advertise the fact that one of the matches was an actual wrestling match. Like that was one of the selling points. It was like a gimmick. Like they reversed the gimmick. The gimmick was that this match was a wrestling match. Um, we just have different philosophies, you know, about pro wrestling. I think. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was fine here. I thought it was. Yeah, this was a really good match. Yeah, three and a quarter probably. I enjoyed it. So there you go. That's the Judgment Show. Definitely much preferred to the other show we talked about. Um, I thought it was a you know really good main event, and then the undercard had lots of strong stuff on it. So this this ended up being a show I enjoyed even more than I thought it would on paper. So yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. I think it's something that it's given me a bit of a, a kick up the ass with DDT certainly because it's you know it's one of them promotions that due to time I don't really keep up with. I just sort of drop in and out for big matches when people recommend them. But I think you know if you've got Wrestle Universe anyway, I think it's something I'm going to make a bit more effort with. Uh, so let's quickly go over the card for next week's Corrigan, which I mentioned we'll we'll talk about here on Omakase. So it is DET April Fool 2021, uh, April 11th from Cork and Hall. Uh, first of all, we have an undermatch for the two rookies, Hideki Okatani versus Tori Kojima. The opener, Chris Brooks, Saki Akai, Yuki Ino, and Yuki Onaya taking on Makoto Oishi, Akito, Kazuki Hirata, and Keigo Nakamura. Pretty standard opener there. Uh, then we have our continuation of this unit feud. Uh, Daisuke Sasaki, Soma Takao, and Yuji Hino takes on Yuki Ueno, Shuma Katsumata, and Mao. Also, obviously, a hype match for Soma and Ueno's upcoming Universal title match. Then another DDT rookie debuting. It seems like they have a ton of rookies lately. Uh, so this is Yuya, Ko- Yuya Koroko making his debut. He'll take on Yusuke Okada, which, you know, hell of a guy to debut against because Okada's been on fire, like I mentioned. Uh, then match number four, the Gorgeous Matsuno pre-60th birthday commemorative match. Uh, gorgeous Matsuno, Toro Washi, and Antonio Honda versus Tetsuya Endo, Mad Pauly, and Nobuhiro Shimatani. Uh, match number five, KOD Tag Team Titles, Kasada Higuchi and Yukio Sakaguchi defend them against Hiroshima and Yuji Okabayashi, uh, of course coming in from Big Japan. And the, op- the main event, KOD Openweight title, Junakiyama versus Don Shokudino. So, some cool stuff on that card. Definitely not as big a card as uh, Judgment here was, being the anniversary show and all. But, there you go. Definitely some stuff I'm excited to talk about. Tag title match could be really good. So, what the wait and say. Excuse me. Uh, they, and I also want to say thank you to Jamie and Dramatic DDT. 
who uh, jamacdet.wordpress.com for the cards. Uh, always a great resource. So that's your next EDT show. Uh, all right, we can wrap things up here. I guess before I get into next week's episode, anything you want to plug? Uh, I mean, I'm exclusive to Voices of Wrestling, so if you if you go into there and you can see my writing, I, this is the first podcast I've ever done, actually, so I, I tend oh, to well, sort do, of stick to the uh, wrong word. You really, I have to say you did a really good job for your first podcast ever. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I actually no. I'm telling Fibs actually. I did um, a WrestleMania preview with Rich about three years ago, but it was buried in like hour fifteen. And it was about Red Pro, so I, I I don't know what the listeners were, but I don't think it was very many. So I'm counting this as my first one. But yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, thank you for coming on. All right, folks. So as always, uh, Wrestle Omakase can be found on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Wrestling Omakase. Again, our champion carnival coverage kicks off on the Patreon this week. Uh, I believe it's Friday. Yes, so this week, uh, Friday, April 9th, and Saturday, April 10th, uh, exclusive to the Patreon, so definitely check that out. And we'll have a champion carnival uh, retro roulette episode probably on Wednesday. So, again, lots of stuff coming up this week on the Patreon. Only $5 for all of it. Patreon.com slash Wrestling Omakase. Uh, next week here on the free feed, I'll be joined by returning guest Paul Vosch. Uh, Paul and I will be talking about that DDT April 11th cork and I just went over and the All Japan Champion Carnival Night 3, also from April 11th. So, And that will be the only Champion Carnival Night we discuss on the free feed. So tune in for that. We might talk a little WrestleMania too. I don't know. because I, I think I am going to watch at least the first night on Saturday just to see like, well, what the fuck fans are going to like react like <laughs> now that they're back after all these months of... Uh, you know, Thunderdome exclusive, whatever the fuck. I am kind of curious, but I don't know if Paul's going to watch it, so I have no idea. I can't um, see him watching it. I think no, he's I doubt it. To skip it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know. I think he'll skip it and make a big deal of the fact that he skipped it. That, wow. I think that's... Shots fired by Neil Davis. Oh, no, no, in a good way. I think it's a positive <laughs> way. I'm the same. I'm going to watch it. I, the only reason I'm going to watch it is so I understand the memes. There you go. So, folks, uh, yeah, I think I can, I'm committing to watching, like, one night. I'm not... I am not committing to both nights because I think that sounds excessive. Excessive amounts of WWE, honestly. Uh, <laughs> thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for listening, of course. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter uh, at, twi- at twitter.com slash WrestleOmakase. Wrestling wouldn't fat. Don't know why I said the twitter.com part. I usually don't do that. But <laughs> in the meantime, like I said, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.